Good evening. Getting very close to Pesach. Yesterday, I started to explain the Haggadah of Pesach night, and today we will finish it. If we don't finish it now, maybe tomorrow I will continue. Uh, I have another lecture here somewhere else in Brooklyn tomorrow. Maybe I'll do it there, maybe Monday, we'll see. But uh, the difference between yesterday's lecture to today, yesterday I explained all the technical uh, instructions of the night of the Seder. How to do, how to eat on the left side, why, how many times, when you have to cover them, and so all these things. And I explain a lot of the, the reasons how everything is done. Today, yesterday I skipped the explanation of the Divrei Torah of the Agada. That's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to go over some of the, of the words of the Agada and explain what they mean. Yesterday I explained about how many mitzvot we have in Pesach, how to get rid of the chametz, how to do the bitul chametz, what happened if you forgot chametz, how to sell to the goy, when to sell to the goy, all kinds of things. So it will be a little bit hard to understand everything if you don't listen to both lectures. The lecture from last night will be on tonight. Let's see how much we can do today. So as we know, we have four mitzvot of the night of the Seder, two from the Torah, two from the Rabbanan. We have an obligation to eat matzah and to tell the story of the exodus of Egypt. Those two obligations from the Torah. And then we have two obligations, rabbinical obligations, to drink four glasses of wine, or wine mixed with grape juice, or grape juice to those who is difficult for them, and to eat maror. So to the Rabbanan, to the Oraita. Now, why do we have four cups? Why not three? Why not two? Why not ten? What's the reason for the cups? The answer is because we have four different languages of salvation in a Torah. For each one, there is one cup dedicated. One is Vozeti etchem, and another place it's written Vetzalti etchem. And Vozeti I, I, means I took you out. Vetzalti means I saved you. And another place it says Vegalti etchem. In another place it says So because it comes in four different variations, that's why we have four cups. Why wine? Why not orange juice? Why not water? Okay, you, you, you made the point. You wanted to show me that there were four, four different languages of salvation. So you tell me you drink four glasses of water. Or four glasses of anything you want. Why does it have to be wine? The answer is, if you pay attention, all the mitzvot in Judaism, it all goes on a glass of wine. Wine is a special drink. All the drinks have one bracha, she'akol niya bitvaro, and wine has a dedicated bracha for it, bore priya gefen. All the drinks that you drink have bracha achrona, bore nefashot rabot vechesronan. Wine has ala gefen ve'al priya gefen. So you see, it's a different thing. It's different than all the drinks, the most important. If you drink water and you make shakol niya bidvaro, you make bracha. And now you want to drink wine that was on the table, you have to make another bracha, bore priya gefen. But if you make bracha, bore priya gefen, and after that you want to drink wine, you have water, you don't have to say another bracha on the water. Because the wine 
includes in it all the drinks. Why? It's like the king of the drinks. Once you pay attention to the wine, everything else is included. What's so special about the grape? There are a few things about it. One is the scene of Adam was grape juice, grape, uh, grape tree. Adam, you know, he ate from the tree that Hashem told him not to eat. Which tree was that? The tree of grape. As a result of that, the world got damaged spiritually. So since the world got damaged spiritually from the grape uh, tree, now the obligation is to fix the world with a grape tree. So that's why everything is with wine. Brit Milah, circumcision, glass of wine. What does it have to do with the Brit? You're doing as, uh, you're cutting uh, the baby's uh, foreskin. What does it have to do now with a glass of wine? Why? Why we have to do this Brit Milah? Connection to the sin of Adam Arishon. Shabbat. Borei Pri Agefen, Kiddush. Why? Shabbat. It's all a chain reaction. It's all begin from Adam Arishon. Why? Before the sin, the Yetzirah was a different thing. Now it's inside us. It leads us to all these problems. You want to fix it? Same way you ruin it, that's how you fix it. Wedding, Chupa, also. Avdala, also wine. Pesach, also wine. Very interesting. Everything goes with that. What's so special about this wine? All the trees you can mix with other trees. You can take the seeds of one tree and seeds of another tree, mix it genetically, you mix it, and you can create a new species. You, it's like intermarriage between two species. But the wine, the grape, the grape tree, you can't mix with anything else. You try to mix it with something else, it does not accept any arkava, no mixture. Why? Because the nation of Israel is similar to the grape. They have no permission to mix with any other nation. If a Jew marry a non-Jew, there's no marriage. You don't need divorce. You, you marry a Christine, you have ten children even. Now you want to get rid of it, you, you don't want her anymore, you don't need get. She doesn't have to agree to be divorced. You just walk out. Why? Because you've never been married to her. There's no such thing, marriage between Jew to a Goya or or between a goy to a, to a Jewish woman. It's never, never, this, this ceremony never takes place. It's all an illusion. Same thing with the grape. Also, the grape is a tree that cannot stand on its own. It needs to climb on something. Meaning, the Jewish people have no existence if they don't climb on the rabbis that live before. Every generation count on the previous generation that told us what to do. That's called tradition. That's why we're similar to the wine, to the grape. Also, the grape is very interesting. When you want to make wine, you have to step on a grape. You step on a grape, then the juice come out. And what happened in the end? The grape step on you. Right? You make, you make wine, you make juice, you know. You put it in, alcohol, you know, rising and all that. And then when you drink it, it knocks you out. So it's similar to the Jewish people. Everyone runs after them to destroy them. And in the end, the Jews survive and they all are destroyed. No matter how much power and army they have, they're all gone from the world, all these big empires, the Greeks, the Romans, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Persians, they're all gone. 
and the Jews are always on the rise and always dominate and always in control. Which you don't have to be a genius to see that everything that happens in the world happened for the Jews. Everything, no matter what you see, something in Russia, something in Iran, something in Syria, it's all directly or indirectly relates and connects to the Jewish nation. Everything is around them. You understand? It's like, a, it's like similar to a sport team that you have one star, like a soccer team. So one, sometimes one player worth value, money value more than the other ten players. This one worth two million, this one one million, this one three million, and this player two hundred million. So he is worth already more than the other ten. If you take him out of the team, the team is gone. Now one fan will come. You put him in, doesn't matter who the other ten are. Everybody come to see him. That's why they pay him 20 times more or 30 times more than any other player. Just like you can see in the NBA, one player makes 40 million a year, his friend next to him, 2 million a year. Where is, what's going on here? <laughs> Anyone would come to see you? If you'll be on your own, someone would buy tickets? No. Everybody buy tickets to see him. He brings all the money. Everything on this team is for him. You have to do everything for this star. That's the same thing in this world. Hashem made it for the Jewish people. He gave them the Torah. And everything you see around is the background or the assistant for the actual cause. So I just gave you a few examples of the grape, why everything goes to grape. So we have four languages of salvation. That's why we have four glasses of wine. Now, what's the Kabbalistic, mystical uh, explanation about the four glasses of wine? Because you know everything in Judaism, you have two channels. One is the Pshat, and then we have the Sod, the secrets. What's the secrets? So there are four worlds, four different worlds. Is this world, Olam Asiya. Then you have Olam Yetzirah, and then you have Olam Abriya, and then you have Olam Atzilut. Right? Meaning that everything that you see in this world did not start in this world. The root of it, the spiritual root of it, comes all the way from Shamaim, from the top, then to the lower one, to the lower one, and to the lower one. And it's very interesting because in every different world, it actually looks different. If you see a table here, table, you know how it looks. But if you go to the upper world, it's something different. It's very difficult for us to understand because it's all spiritual world. But we have Atzilut, Briya, Yetzirah, Asiya. This world is Olam Asiya. The meaning everything here is done by hand. You cannot be religious in your heart. You must be religion, religious in your action. You have to put filin, you have to put talit. You have to do things. If you don't do anything, it doesn't matter how much you love God and you appreciate the Torah and you appreciate his instruction, if you don't follow them, you don't do it, you have zero, nothing. No, no credit at all. Just for knowledge, or just for agreeing with the law, or hoping one day I can do it, I know God understand me, all this nonsense that I hear day and night for 24 years already, it's all baloney, illusions of many people, I'm sure God will understand me, I do a lot of other things, it's all nonsense. In this world you came to do, you don't do, you get nothing. 
Not only that, if you know the truth and you do nothing, you actually get a bigger punishment than someone who does not even know the truth. Because if he would know the truth, he would do. He doesn't know, so that's why he's not doing. You know me, you know about my rules, you know about reward and punishment, and you still do whatever you like. Of course I'm going to punish you more. It's, it's perfectly making sense. But there, there is another four worlds, meaning in this world, you have Olam, Olam Azeh, the world that we live in now. When we have the way the world going to be in the time of Mashiach, when Mashiach comes, a lot of things are going to be different. So that's another world. That's the second glass of wine. And then we have the resurrection of the dead. When all the righteous people come back to the world, from all the books that you read, Rambam, Rashba, Gemara, all these names that you read for, for, for thousands of years, Imagine everybody comes back to life. King David, King Saul, Moshe Rabbeinu, Aaron Cohen. everyone will stand in one place. Uh, nice to meet you, Moshe. Nice to meet you, David. Nice to meet you, Rambam. Just imagine this, what's going to happen if we be righteous enough to stand over there. You know how the kids are going crazy when they see a superstar, a player or a singer, how they scream, they run. Wow, he, he shook my hand. Selfie. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine now what's going to happen and if somebody comes hey, hi nice to meet you what's your name David Benishai right away selfie selfie <laughs> a lot of selfies we're going to have <laughs> you understand? they're not going to know what's going on what, what's this box oh how can I see myself here wow okay, you know try to imagine what's going to happen so that's the, that's the time of the resurrection of the dead and the next world is Olam Abba. You can also divide it in four different ways, meaning in different way, meaning this is Olam Abba. Mashiach, it's already included in a Tchiat Ametim, because in the time of Mashiach, we're going to have the resurrection of the dead. So that's the second glass for Mashiach and the resurrection of the dead. And then we have, when we die, we go to heaven. And then we have the final stage of the soul, which we call the eternal world, Olam Abba. So four glasses also for that. So you see, there are some secrets behind it, besides the pshat of the four languages of the Geula. So we said, in the first cup of the Kiddush, when we do the Kiddush, that's the first glass of the four. It's connected Olam Azeh. So we have to sanctify, sanctify ourselves in the first glass of wine. The second glass, it's the, it's the glass that we say the story of the Agadah on it. So it's already a little bit more spiritual. Right? We're going to a little higher level. Then, and we speak also the days of Mashiach. Right? And the, the, the Exodus of Egypt. Like we say, The third glass, which is Birkat Amazon, is Keneget Chiat Ametim. It's for the resurrection of the dead. What's the connection between the meal, the grace of the food, to the resurrection of the dead? The answer is, it's written that once we come back to life, the dead people who come back to life, Hashem will make them a special meal. So that Leviathan it's called. 
Nobody understands what it means. It's very, very problematic to understand. But Hashem is going to make them a special meal. So it's called Saudat Oroshel Livyatan. The Gemara in Masechet Baba Batra, page uh, 72, the Gemara is talking about it. And the fourth glass is Keneged Aulam Abba. That's why we say the Halela, the Halela Gadol. You know, the fourth glass for the Halel until we finish the Halel. Now, again, I'm not giving instructions how to do what to do. This is all what I did yesterday. So once you watch both lectures, everything will fall into place and will make perfect sense to you how to do, what to do, and why. Now, we, as you know, the beginning of the Seder, everybody sing, Kadesh, Urchatz, Karpas, Yachatz, Magid, Rachza, Motzi, Matza, Maror, Korech, Shulchan, Orech, right? All these things that we, we do, what, what is this? What do we say? This is all the stages of the Seder, right? Kadesh, Kiddush, Urchatz, we wash the hands for the Karpas, Kadesh, Urchatz, Karpas, then Yachatz, we cut the middle Matza to two halves, right? So it's all, Magid is Magid Da'agada, right? So uh, this is all the steps of the night of the Seder in the first paragraph when we sing. Kadesh Urchatz, it tells you already the right order of the Seder. So if you lose it, all you have to know is this, this in the first page. Kadesh Urchatz, Kadesh we did, Rechatz we did, right? Go by the right order. Now in the, okay, so here we go. So we're in the right order. Now, in Hebrew... Sometimes there are words that sound the same. If you ask the professors in the university, the Hebrew university, professor, what's the difference between lahagid or lomar? Omer, magid. Right? It's, why don't we call the Agada of Pesach? We call the Agada of Pesach Agada. Why we don't call it Amira? Agada means to say something. Amira means also to say something. So why, what's the difference between lehagid or lehemor or lomar? What's the difference? Omer, magid. What's the difference between it? Is it similar word? One time you use it like this, one time you use it like that, or is the difference between them? So the answer is like this. Haggadah and Amira, they have one major difference between them. Amira, when you say, when you omer to someone, the main thing is what's in your heart. You have something in your heart, and you express yourself, and it comes out. Like it's written, Vayomer Elokim Yeior. And God say, there should be light. Meaning he wanted light. That's what he had in mind. Now he said what he wants. Let's call him more. Vayomer. Or Amarti Ani Belibi. It's written in Kohelet, King Solomon wrote, Amarti Ani Belibi, meaning when you Omer, it begins in your heart, meaning in your mind, right? Before it comes to your lips, it starts in your head, in your thought, and then it comes out. You pull it out, okay? That's called Amira, right? Agada, the main thing is in your mouth. You go into the details of everything. You don't just express what you have in general in your mind. Agada ikara bape vu bipratut in details every little thing step one step two step three that's called agada right so 
הצריתני נתורה והיגדתה לבנך ביום ההוא לאמור. He does not say ואמרת לבנך ותאמר לבנך. תאמר לבנך meaning we came out of Egypt son and ברוך השם we here and it's over. That's it, we got the point. והיגדתה means step one, step two, step three, how did it happen, why did it happen, what happened here, why it happened this, you have to go into details. Let's call, והיגדתה לבנך ביום ההוא לאמור, שעניין ההגדה לספר בפרטות. The main thing in ההגדה is to go into details. Every, the more details you express, the better it is. כל המרבה, הרי זה משובח. Then we begin the Agadah by calling the poor people. Call Dikhfin, right? We call the, all the people. We ask them, call Dikhfin yeteve echol, call Ditzrich yeteve ifsach. That's Aramik. What does it mean Dikhfin? And what does it mean Ditzrich? Ask most Israelis. They have no idea. Because it's not simple Hebrew. It's complicated Aramik. What does it mean, Dekhfin, and what does it mean, Dekhfin? Dekhfin, it's similar to the word Tzarich. Tzarich means needs. But what is it, Dekhfin? Dekhfin with Chaf, not with Chet. If it would be with Chet, it means someone that you push, Dekhf. But with Chaf, what's Dekhfin? I'll tell you something. A person gives two coins to two different poor people. דולר, let's say half a dollar, whatever. דולר and a dollar. Two poor people collecting, you give him a coin of a dollar and you give him a coin of a dollar. Is it the same thing or no? Two poor people standing by the shore when you come in or when you go out. They go like this, with their cup. You put a dollar in his hand and you put a dollar in his hand. Are you going to get the same response from Hashem for both transactions? or each transaction is totally different. What will make the dollar you give to the poor person A and to the poor person B, what can possibly make a difference between the same exact transaction and the same exact transaction, right? If I come to the store and I take a, a bottle of water for a dollar, one, I put it on a table. And then I put uh, in a machine. I put a dollar, this came out. Put another dollar, this one came out. And I say, ladies and gentlemen, you see these two bottles of water? It's totally different transaction. Nobody understands what I want. Oh, so there are a few, okay, there are a few criteria that will make the transaction totally different. One is, depends how poor the person is. One is extremely poor and one is a little bit poor. Already it's not the same. Depends on what they're going to use it for. One will use it for food and if not, he's going to die. And the other one bought himself napkins. And he already had food, he needed napkin. You ask, what is it my problem? It's not your problem, you're not a prophet. You don't know what they're going to use it for. But there are things in life that you get rewarded and it's not in your hand. But I didn't say you get punished and it's not in your hand. Did you pay attention? I only say you get rewarded even though it's not in your hand. I give you an example. 
two people try to have kids, Reuven and Sarah, Yitzchak and Rachel. One couple had kids, the other one cannot have kids. They try very hard. They are dying for kids. They have poor vu, three, four boys, four, five girls, and they have nothing. When they die, who gets a huge, a huge reward for having children? The first couple. There comes the other couple and says, not only we suffered 40 years without children, we did everything we can, we were lonely and we got old and we didn't have children. Now in the end, we're not going to get a reward. Now you may come and say, Hashem has a rule that He gives the reward for someone who tried to do a mitzvah and was forced not to. Nenas. I wanted to do it, but I can't. I want to build a shul. I want to build a yeshiva. I don't have the few million dollars. Hashem knows if I had it, that's the first thing I would do. So would I get a reward for doing it or no? Huh? So then, then everybody has. So then means our reward is endless. I want to build a shul. I want to build a shul. You have a shul. I want to build yeshiva. You have yeshiva. I want to make a million ballet tshuva. You have a million ballet tshuva. What is this? That's how easy it is? Just because you want to have good, uh, good and... Ch- no, not everything you want to do, you get a reward for. Something that you were able to do. And now something happened and you were not able to do. Technically, you are able to do it. There's a poor person. He needs to cross the street and he's waiting for someone to hold his hand. And you saw it from far and you start to walk towards him to take his hand, and someone else came a minute, a second before and grabbed his hand. For that, you're going to get a reward. You understand? They told you they need, they need 10 persons to be mashlim inyan. You took off your pyjama, 11 o'clock at night, there's a shul next to your home, freezing, you were already in bed, you put your suit on, your hat, you come freezing out of your bed, you come to the shul, you already see 10. The rabbi say, no, it's okay, you just came. <laughs> so for that, you're going to get a full reward. Like you came and was mashlim inyan. But if you wanted to build Bet HaMikdash, you have a dream. Maybe I'm going to be the one who gives $20 million to start the construction. And when you die, you say, why am I not getting paid for Bet HaMikdash? Don't you know I had a dream to build Bet HaMikdash? <laughs> Dreams are... <laughs> So not every dream you have, you get a full reward. This couple that wanted to have kids, everybody knows they want kids. Most people want kids, no? And they did try. But there was some kind of technical problem. For whatever reason, Hashem decided they cannot have kids. So just because they dream to have kids, they're not going to get a reward for having kids. Why? Because it's written clearly in a Gemara that someone who doesn't have boys is less than someone that does have boys. So why? Everyone dreams to have at least one boy, no? If you already have kids, you want at least one boy, no? So why don't you get a reward like you have a boy? The answer is because it's depend on the reality. Same thing with the poor people. When we give money to the poor people, we all hope that the poor person will buy a kosher meal and eat, or that he will use it to learn Torah, or for tefillin, or for Matzah in Pesach, something that will give me good credit. We all hope. But if you went to the casino with that and lost it, or drank some cognac or whiskey, so our dream did not come through, 
right? We wanted him to do mitzvah, and he went and made a scene with that. Or ate something without bracha, or whatever the case is. So what do I care what he did? My dream is that he's going to do a mitzvah with this. Go and learn, buy Gemara and learn all month. But I don't get. I only get if he really bought a Gemara and learned in a Gemara. Where do we see it? From Prophet Yirmiya. It's in Gemara in Masechet Baba Batra. He says, Hashem, when the stingy people finally wants to give tzedakah, once in a blue moon, every 50 years he has a moment that he all of a sudden maybe was a little bit drunk, poor him, he drank too much. He was in the mood to give few dollars tzedakah. Please make sure that a crook will come to them to take their money. Achshilem, make them fail. Bibne Adam she'enam agunim. Make them fail with people that are not decent and not honest. What, the prophet curses his, his nation? No. We have a rule. Megalgelim zchut lideh zakai, megalgelim chova lideh chayav. When you have positive merits, you deserve to get more positive merits. Why? Because you just did something good, immediately Hashem gives you another opportunity. When you have negative merits, you do bad things all the time, next time Hashem needs to punish a Jew, He's going to use you. Why? Because you're guilty. So it's not coincidence why Hashem decided that you're going to be the one who caused Him the problem. You understand? Why is it? Because you are guilty of other things. Why you had the merit to help this person and to save him? And to solve his problem, because you were on a positive merit from before. So that caused you to be able to do another thing to gain even more merit. It's a chain reaction. Chain reaction. It's very big schut to be wealthy, but, unf- but it's also very big responsibility. To, from what I've seen over the years, from what I've seen over the years, I can tell you, from my experience, you want to believe it, believe it, you don't want to believe it, it's up to you. From what I've seen, for every hundred wealthy people, barely, barely one of them give the tzedakah to the right cause. Barely one. Almost everybody I met over the years throw their money to the garbage. I can give you a few examples. All the reform shoes in the world. The multi-multi-millionaires, 5 million, 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, all over Philadelphia, LA, New York, every one of their synagogue has millions of dollars in top real estate, like the Beverly Hills Wolpe uh, Aklipa uh, over there, that Wolpe over there, the, the reform, they have two blocks in Beverly Hills, it's probably 40, 50 million dollars, the real estate. And who pays it? A lot of the Persian people. They pay millions of dollars over there. Not only they're not going to get any credit for it, for every brick in the, on, a, on a building, they're going to get punished for. Because it's worse than a church. If you invest money in a place that called itself synagogue, that the chief rabbi over there is getting paid a million dollars a year, and he's saying in his speech that there was no such thing, Exodus of Egypt. That's what he's saying. My own ears I heard. One of his recordings. He gives them a speech and he said there was no exodus of Egypt. But it's not only him. Some very famous, someone sent me a, 
video from a very famous rabbi in England that he said that it's all metaphoric, all the stories of the Torah. It, it never really happened. And if I tell you which rabbi is this, <laughs> you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. Shock, shock of my life I got. Someone sent it to me two days ago. And I sent it to one tzaddik in London. He said to me, you crushed me, you shocked me. I was holding highly of this one. I All you need is to hear five minutes of his speech and you know who he is for real. Kofer apikors lo mitztaref leminyan. There was a very famous rabbi writing important books, getting all kinds of titles. You cannot count him as one of the minyan. If you have Chiloni from the kibbutz with earrings and tattoo and ponytail and his jeans is halfway down, he is mashlim minyan because his tinok shenishbai doesn't know anything from his life. And that one that called himself a very important, respectful rabbi, very educated rabbi, you cannot count him as one of the minyan. He's an apikorist. The Gemara says clearly, someone like this is not mashlim minyan. And there's no share to the world to come also. Not only that, he also has no share to the world to come. So if somebody gives him money and he builds a $20 million shul, that's mitzvah? <laughs> that's very big sin. Everything that will happen there, you're going to have to pay because it makes Hashem very angry. The way the women dress, the speeches over there are all rotten, liberal, modern, anti-Torah, picorsiut. Mamasha picorsiut, worse than mosques and churches, the way they talk over there. The instruction he gives to his student, to the people who listens to him, he allow them to come with a car. If the food is kosher, not kosher, half kosher, Shem Yerachem, the parties over there are worse than the bar in Manhattan, and you sponsor the building. So all your money went to sins. Multiply by 40, 50 years until you die, you have millions of sins. You get 40 million dollars, which bought you billions of sins. Now one mitzvah. There's now one mitzvah you don't get. Now one mitzvah. This is most of the rich people, what do you think? Who sponsored all these thousands of synagogues? People gave a lot of, many millions they gave. There are different levels how bad are the causes. Some causes are extremely bad. Some causes are a little bit bad. Some causes are a little bit good. But you could have done a million times more for the same amount of money. So how is the money being distributed? How? How? The answer is one of the, one of the reasons why it's like that is depend on how much schut you have. You have the merit or not. I'll give you an example. If all day you speak Lashonara against kosher rabbis, he's too strict, he's fanatic, he makes up things, he doesn't have sources. When Hashem hears such thing, and he knows that this speaker only says the truth, he doesn't move anything left, right, no politics, no nothing. It hurts HaKadosh Baruch Hu very much. Finally, when I have few speakers that represent the Torah originally the way I wanted it, this guy smashing them, killing them, everywhere he goes, speak against them. When this guy finally wants to give a lot of money for tzedakah, let's say he made a lot of money, Hashem will never let him give the money to a kosher rabbi. Never. Because he doesn't deserve it. Because it's a contradiction. You destroy the real kosher ones. You think I'm going to give you the merit to give money to the kosher ones? Only to the crooks. 
only to the liberals, only to the rotten, only to the professors from the university. But to a real kosher one, never. You understand? We saw many big rabbis, they were very, very picky who they even take money from. They, when they told him, we're going to get you this guy, he wants to give money, no, no, take him somewhere else, I don't want. Why is it? I don't want anything to do with this person. I once told you the story that I went to visit Ravaderet. He used to live two, three blocks away from me. I saw him standing by the mailbox, getting the mail, opening the envelopes, and ripping checks. And throwing them in a box. Like this. Another check came, rip it, and put it in a box. <laughs> I look at the check. <laughs> What's going on? Is dreaming or what? I said to him, what happened, Rabbi? Now one not one and another one. He said to me, learn. Not from everyone do you want to take money. Then I, won't, I walk into the house. I'm telling it to you in front of a camera. You can go and ask him. I'm not changing the story even by one tiny detail. I walked with him into his house. He had a drawer over there. He opened the drawer. Maybe 50 to 100 checks were there. Maybe even more, I don't know. Full draw, full of checks. Never deposit them. Never. He said, no, I, don't, I didn't deposit. Why? I sponsor all the shul, I pay all the expenses, don't want favors from anyone. Why? Tomorrow this guy give me $200 donation. What is going to happen the next day? He brings his chatan, mechalel Shabbat. Rabbi, my chatan, the Shabbat chatan, is, you know, give him aliyah. I'm sorry, it's Mechalel Shabbat, I cannot give him. What? I sponsored the shul and you're not going to give my Chatan Aliyah? Do you understand? Don't give anything, don't sponsor anything, come pray and be quiet. We don't want 500 bosses in the synagogue. That's what's happening today with the boards. The boards. They tell the rabbis what to do, what not to do. They run the show. Why? They got the money. They have the connection. They raise the funds. They pay for the building, or they're in charge of the mortgage. And the poor rabbi, what can he do? I talk too much, they throw me out. So what's better? I'll be out of the job and I'll bring someone worse? It's a big dilemma. So you need the right merit to give the right amount and to the right place. And the prophet say to Hashem, if this person does not have the merit, please make sure... For the few times he wants to give, make him give it to the crooks. So what do we see from here? Even though everyone that gives donation, hoping that this money will make him find favor in the eyes of God, no? That Hashem will be happy for me. Why do I give donation? What? I want to do something good, right? Even the wicked people, when they give donation, even though sometimes they give it because one day they're going to need him, or tomorrow I'm going to need a favor so I know what to, what to call and ask. But in the back of their mind, they hope that something good will happen. But they just don't even know what does it mean, something good. People translate good in a different way. How you define good? One person a mixed dancing for shiduchim in a shul, that's good. Rabbi, don't be too strict. Bring all the boys, bring all the girls, put some Persian music, bring a Muslim singer from L.A., Das, das, everyone like this. 
We have one again, marry our sons. What's going on? It's better they're going to marry the goyim. You understand the idea? How they look at good. That's what good. In their mind, for this, I'll pay $18,000 for a party like this. I'll pay the Chinese, I'll buy the donuts, whatever you tell me, Rabbi. But it's against the Torah, against the halacha. <laughs> That's what you do in the synagogue. You understand? One guy, he doesn't hear the rabbi when he speaks on Shabbat. It's a big shul. So he says, if you agree to put a microphone on Shabbat, I'll pay all the expenses. <laughs> he doesn't understand. Oh, a microphone is a sin. The rabbi is going to give a speech. What, is a church here? <laughs> it's not a church. But in his mind, he's doing something positive that everyone should hear good. People don't understand what's right and what's wrong. That's the problem. Sometimes it's an innocent understanding. Not because they're evil. They just don't know. They don't think that it's such a bad thing to speak in a microphone on Shabbat. To actually break the rules of Shabbat. So in their mind, I'm, I'm suggesting help for the congregation. But it's totally wrong. So, a person gives two poor people money. One was about to die and he bought bread and survived and the other one was not so hungry. Even though for you it's both count as an important uh, tzedakah, you give charity to two poor people, the reward of the first and the second are totally different. The first one, it's count like you saved the entire world. Right? Everyone who saved one person from the nation of Israel count like he saved the whole world. Why is it? Because he's going to have children and grandchildren and grand-grand-grandchildren. Eventually it's going to be a nation. Fill up the whole world. So it counts like you saved the whole world. But the other person, if you wouldn't give him now the money, he won't die. You still have enough for a few hours to leave. So you didn't save the whole world. So what do you see? It's written in Baba Batra, page 10. Pros l'ra'ev l'achmecha. Slice your bread to the poor person. If you are with merit, if you have the merit, this pasu comes to you, that you will be able to feed the poor to a situation that will count like you save his life and the whole world. Lo zacha, if you don't have the schut, you don't have the merit. Ve'aniim merudim tavi bayit. You understand? It's written in Yishaya. Ve'aniim merudim tavi bayit. Achim enam revim, lo zacha kol kach. If they're not so hungry, your schut is less. What does it have to do with me? Do I know if they're hungry, not hungry, Well, I'm going to start making an FBI investigation when is the last time you ate your falafel? <laughs> what is this? People stand and I give them money. Ma. You need schut. If Hashem likes you, you and your friend came out, two poor people. He directs you to the one that you will be bigger profit. And the other one to the one that will have less profit. I remember one guy... One time he bought three pairs of tefillin. For him, for his brother, and for his father. Same sofer, same ashgacha, same everything. A year later, they took the three pairs of tefillin to check. The other two was kosher, and he's 
Tefillin had a problem. So they told him, hey, it needs to be fixed. He was eating his heart. Why the one with the problem came to me? So I told him, what do you think, it's coincidence? Now there were three in a bag. You picked a one, he picked a one. The one that had a problem came to you. What does it tell you? That, that you came to do mitzvah tefillin and Hashem threw it back in your face. What does it say? Or do you have to check yourself. Why Hashem did this to me? Why is it? I come, I want to do, I want to do the mitzvah of tefillin. I go, I buy a very expensive tefillin. And in the end I find out it's not kosher. Or mezuzot. Or many other things in life. Or meat. You know, now they found out another scam of a meat in Israel. Every month something new. You can buy meat. You don't know who the person is 100%. You cannot count on anyone today. They bring non-kosher, not shechita, nevela, from the Arabs. From the Arabs, and they push it into the kosher butcher. They don't have enough meat, so they bring non-kosher. They mix it, chop it, and they sell it to people. Why? They know these people don't check. Most of them are not so machmir. They push it to them. You go to a mea sharim, you'll be able to sell not kosher meat to people. You think they're full? They check you 50 times. Where is this? Where's the mashgiach? Who's the shochet? How? When? What? From when? How you did it? People constantly ask questions. You cannot fool them. You can only fool people that don't ask questions. They come, they buy, and that's it. So, call dechfin yetevechol. Who can tell me what's the difference between dechfin and dechrich? What's the difference? Let's explain. There are four things here. Kol dechfin yetevechol. Every dechfin will come and eat. Kol ditzrich yetevechsach. Every ditzrich will come and celebrate Pesach with us. Hashata hacha. Now we are here. Hashata avde. We are now slaves. Right? There are four things here in this mishpat, in this sentence. Kol Dichfin can come to eat. Kol Ditzrich will celebrate Pesach with us. This time we are here. And this time we are slave. So let's, all of that goes on. The matzah that we pick up. Halach Ma'aniyah, right? Halach, this is the bread of poverty. Halach Ma'aniyah. There are four different categories of poverty. One, someone that does not have what to eat. Shenemar, it's written in the Torah, Vayaancha Vayarivecha. Hashem say, I tortured you and I made you hungry. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Second, someone that has what to eat, but not everything he wants to eat. Bread and cream cheese, that's it. If you're lucky, cucumbers. You want to buy fish? Ah, it's a dream, Rabbi. A fish, $8 a piece, come on. I work all day, I make 50, 60 bucks. How can I afford fish? Ma, all day I'm going to work for one meal. Ma, what's about the rent? I can't. It's out of my, my, my territory. I buy only bread. If I'm lucky, I get cream cheese or something cheap. That's it. If we're lucky, we eat eggs or potatoes. A lot of poor people are like this. So he wants other things, but he doesn't have... He is full of desire for something normal to eat. That's all he can afford. What's the name of someone like that? Evion. You, know, you see in the Torah, there's the word Ani. 
And there's the, Torah, there's the word Evion. Why Evion? Comes from the word Ta'ava. Ta'ev. Evion. Ta'ava. What means he always with desire for something normal to eat. Something normal to eat. And Shenemar, it's written, Ki ani ve'evion ani. Ani ve'evion. What does it mean? It's two different things? Yes. Ani means sometimes I don't have what to eat at all. And sometimes I have what to eat, but it's definitely not what I want to eat. So that's called evion. Third, inui aderech. The torture of the road. The journey. You walk from one place to another. You're on a road. And the road makes a person suffer very much. Even today when you have fancy cars with air conditioning and heat and music and all kinds of uncomfortable chair, it's still a torture. It's not something so pleasant to be on a road constantly. Shenemar ina baderech kochi. Hashem tortured me and took away my strength while I was on my way. And the fourth one, Inui veshi'ibud. When you are a servant, servant of someone, servant of something, meaning a slave of someone. Today it's not so common to be a slave, but back in time it was a very common thing. You have no liberty. You're a slave of a person. You have to do everything for him all your life. You have nothing on your own. Whatever they let you use, it belongs to them. They allow you to eat, they allow you to sleep here. But you don't, even if you found a diamond ring, you have to give it to your master. You cannot own it. So that's called shi'ibud. Inuya shi'ibud. The torture of, make, of, of being a slave. It's written with Hagar and Sarah. Hagar was the slave of Sarah and Abraham. Servant. Vata'aneha Sarai. Vativrach mipaneha. So Sarah... She didn't give her electric shots. And she did not burn cigarettes on her. And she did not hit her with a stick. But the fact that she told her, you have to clean here, you have to do this, that's already for her a torture. Now, call dikhfin. What's dikhfin? Someone that is hungry. Remember that when you say it on the Lela Seder, you have to know the difference. Call dikhfin means a person that is hungry. Call ditzrich. Someone that is not hungry, but he does not have everything he needs. He has some of what he needs, not everything he needs. Hashata Acha, now we are here, we are still in exile. Hashata Avde, we are now slaves. What does it mean? We torture, just like we were in Egypt. Which torture? Four different tortures. Remember this, the four tortures I just mentioned. So that's what it means. Ashata Acha, we are now in exile. Ashata Avde, we are slaves, meaning all four kinds of suffering are in us. And when, if you know, when you do Birkata Gomel, Agomel Achayavim Tovot Shegmalani Kol Tov, right? You say Bracha. And everybody answer Amen. Ael shegmalcha kol tuv, uigmalcha kol tuv sela. Sela means forever. And then you answer Amen keni ratzon. Today, 
most of the time, 99% of the time, is people that came back from Israel. They flew across the ocean, and they come here to the synagogue, and they make Birkat HaGomel. But there's other reasons why you have to say Birkat HaGomel. The Gemara explained, and that's the halacha. Four people has to, to, to thank Hashem. Everybody has to thank Hashem for every breath you take. To thank Hashem in a formal way of a blessing, meaning that you have permission to mention His name. Baruch Ata Hashem, Elokenu Melech Haolam. Cholevenitrapa, you were in hospital for three days or in bed, you couldn't get out of the bed. Three days and up. That's similar to the torture of, of, uh, of uh, hunger, because the body suffers. Torture of the body. Shenemar. Kol ochel tetaev nafsham. Right? There's a pasuk about it. Yordayam, people that went to the ocean, back in a time, if you go to the ocean, there's no guarantee to come back. Either the boat breaks and you die and you drown, or there's pirates, pirates, pirates that they rob you, or pirates, or, or that you don't know direction, so you ended up in an island and you die over there. There was no campus like today, no radar, none of these things that we have today. So airplanes, even though in that back in time they didn't have airplanes, but because you go across the ocean, if something goes with the, with the airplane, it's similar to the boat. You crash in the ocean, so it counts like you actually cross the ocean. That's why we say a gomel, right? And it's written in the Gemara, En da'atam shel yordea yam mityashevet at she'olim layabasha. As long as you are in the ocean, you don't have a peace of mind until you arrive to the land. While you're there, you constantly worry. Will I make it? Will I make it? Will I? Today, they have fancy boats with motors and radio and telephones and extra saving boats, you know, for emergency. Some people are not so worried like before. And even today, there's accidents. Even today, you have all kinds of accidents, hurricanes, problems. But back in time when the boats were with no engine, no motor, no gas, slaves used to go, you know, to use it, or, or with the wind. Imagine how, what a risk it was to go across the ocean, right? So people were very nervous. So when they make it, they have to make Birkata Gomel, right? So... They are similar to the ones that have something that they want, but they don't have it yet. So you're constantly nervous. Will I have it? Will I have it? Will I have it? Like the people that in a boat. Will I make it? Will I make it? Will I make it? Baruch Hashem, I made it. Okay. And Ovre Midbariot, people that cross the desert, also very dangerous. Can be in the middle of nowhere. Hundreds of miles, 120 degrees, 50 degrees Celsius. There's no place to hide, no water. You, dry, you, 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 you get dried out and you die. Right? So, they are the torture of the road, as we mentioned before. Someone that comes out of jail. He was in jail. They took away his freedom. Now he came out of jail, like Rubashkin and many others that came out of jail. 
They have to make this bracha, and they are keneged inuy ashibud, slavery torture. Jail, slavery torture. Desert, torture of the roads. People that cross the ocean, will I make it? Like, ditzrich, that I don't have everything I need. Will I have it? Will I have it? Will I have it? And someone that is sick in bed, feels horrible, his body suffers, similar to someone that is poor, starving, stomach hurts, he doesn't have what to eat. That's why you have four different kinds of torture, four different kinds of thank you. You see? It's all connected. Now you know why only four things you do Birkat HaGomel. If you have an accident, the car is total lost. And nothing happened to you. You don't make Birkat HaGomel. Of course, you have to thank Hashem. There's no obligation. It's not one of the four. Not one of the... If you got injured and you're in a hospital, yes. But if you just got saved from a lightning, or you fell from a, from a building and you got lucky, you fell on a tree, and not on a, on, on a cement over there, nothing happened to you. What can be a bigger miracle than that, Right? There's no obligation. Because it's not only to thank Hashem. It's to thank Hashem similar to the four things that we say in Agada, called Dichfin and called Yitzrich and all that. Top. Now we are here in exile. Exile is not only in America or in, the, or in everywhere else in Europe. Exile is in Israel. You live in Israel. You still in, you live in Jerusalem. You in exile. How can it be? I live five minutes walking from the hotel. Why am I in exile? I live the Israeli dream. No, exile. It's not only physical. It's also mental. When you have a government that is wicked and they hate Torah, and they destroy the shivot and they destroy the Torah. And they make fun of Torah and the rabbis. And they do everything they can to destroy Judaism. And to make the nation all goyim. That is similar to the Romans and the Greeks and everyone else. There's no difference. Even in the time of the Romans we were in Israel. <laughs> they ran after us. And now these Chilonim run after us. Maybe the Chilonim are not killing us like the Romans slicing the stomach and taking the baby out. But they do a lot of other bad things. Very bad things. They close yeshivot, they destroy synagogues, they do a lot of other things. So he's still in, mentally still in exile. That every person who wants to sit and learn Torah has to feel like a criminal. That every minute the military police would knock on the door, put handcuffs on him and put him in jail. For what? That you're not in the army. You understand? So you are slaves of the Zionist anti-Torah, communist government. Now, in the government, there are different levels of wicked people. Some people are secular, but they're not evil. Meaning, I don't care. Let them learn Torah. We have enough soldiers. You have some like this. But some of them, they won't rest a minute, a day without making fun at religion. You will never ever see a day in their life without giving a speech or an interview all the time speaking against religious, against rabbis, against big rabbis. That's all they do. Why? Because they know there's a lot of wicked people. They want to gain popularity. Vote for me. I'm like you. We both wicked. I will represent you destroying the Torah. 
according to democracy. So we're still in exile. That's why even in Israel you have to say it. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to say it. You're not allowed to say lie in the night, in the night of Lela Seder. You're not allowed to say a lie anywhere, anytime. Especially not in such a holy night. So how the Israeli reads, this, now we are in exile. Why? You should take it out. Only people in America should say it. And in Europe, in other countries. In Israel, nobody has to say it. Why? Everyone is in exile. The Israelis and us and people in Russia, everyone. Now, you know, there are two steps in a salvation. Two steps. First, Geulat Haaretz. You have to release the land from the hands of the Goim. The Goim is holding. The Romans, they held Israel. Greeks occupied Israel. Babylonians occupied Israel. Alexander Mokdon, he came. You have to pay me taxes. Nebuchadnezzar, all of you are under my supervision. You have to pay me taxes. One little thing you do and I don't like it, I'll kill you all. And in the end, they threw them out of the land. So you see, they actually took control in Israel, totally controlled. So, rede redeeming the land from the end of the Goim. And the second step in the salvation is redeeming the Jewish people from the hand of the Goim. What's the nafkamina? Sometimes you can redeem the land from the end of the Goim, but the Goim took the Jews with them, like they took the Jews to Babylon. How do you have Babylonian Talmud? How the Jews arrived to Iraq? They were in Israel, no? Came the Bavlim, the Babylonian, 2,600 years ago, destroyed the temple, and took the Jews with them to, to Babel. They killed a lot of them, there was tons of blood on the way, and then the Jewish community developed in Babel. And then you have the Babylonian Talmud. So, just because they got kicked out of Israel, or they left Israel, doesn't mean that the people got released from them. Okay? So, I'll give you an example. If you remember a few years ago, Obama used to sit in his laptop with Google Earth and a drone and to see if the Jews building in what he calls occupied territories, even though it's 100% Israel, according to the Torah. But every time he saw that they start construction tractors, immediately he calls, Bibi, what's going on? You just started something over there. Well, who told you that? It did not come to my attention. I'm, I'm watching it live now. Make sure it stops. How do I know? How do I know? I have a friend, he's a rabbi. He has a yeshiva in Beitar. Beitar is Israel. It's a Jewish city. Everyone religious. But it's close to the Arab. So he bought a property. They were in caravans. He started to build the foundation of the yeshiva. Got a call. Rabbi, stop the construction. Why? Obama called. No joke. Obama called, stop the construction. So you got rid of Obama, meaning Obama doesn't bother the land anymore. But we didn't get rid of his ideology. Still affecting us now. You see, so it's two different salvation. One salvation, leave my home. Let me get rid of you. Leave the house. Second, leave me alone. Do you understand the difference or no? Everybody understand? Okay. So, Tzion be mishpati pade. 
How do you save the, the Holy Land? Zion be Justice. People have to be righteous. You want to save the land from the end of the Goyim? You have to be more righteous than them. Like the Torah say, I'm giving you the land today, not thanks to you. Because the Goyim that sits here before you were so filthy and so wicked, so the land throw them out, and I'm giving you today the land instead of them. But the land will not be in your hand forever. It's conditional. I am the master of the land. Just like Rashi say, it says that to teach the world that all the renewal of the moon and Chidush HaChodashim, that HaKadosh Baruch is the master of the world, and when he wants, he gives us the land. When he doesn't want, he takes it away from us. doesn't matter what the Goim think, or what they want, or what they will do. When Hashem wants us to be there, he gives it to us. When we don't deserve it for whatever reason, he takes it away, as we see. So, Zion b'mishpati padeh, and what comes right after that? V'shavea b'tzedakah. So the land, the actual land, the sand on the ground, how do you save the land of Israel? Will be redeemed by justice, by, by judgment. The Jews, the people that live there, with charity and chesed and righteousness and all kinds of things like that. So we say, this year we are here. Next year we will be in Jerusalem. Not in the streets of Jerusalem over there in um, uh, Malcha. You know? No. Jerusalem meaning when we have Bet HaMikdash, we have a reason to be in Jerusalem. That's the, the redemption of the land. So when we call the poor people, why we tell them, Halachmania, we're eating tonight a bread of shame, bread of poverty. When you call a poor person, you say, Ruven, how are you? Do you have where to be in Lela Seder? No, come, come to us. We got a good lamb. This is the food you like. There's going to be a lot of salads. I get you special spicy peppers. Good beer. What do you like? No beer. Kosher beer. <laughs> kosher beer. They have kosher beer. Anyway, you understand the point? So you don't come and say to Ruven, Ruven, you can come to me, but... I only have gefilte fish. <laughs> Nothing else. Gefilte fish you and your wife eat. I already invited to Yitzchak. He has a good <laughs> roast beef. Why do you start the Agadah by calling the poor, but at the same time you tell the poor, don't expect too much. We're eating a bread of poverty today. Well, 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 doesn't make sense. If you want to invite a guest, you have to tell him, I'm going to get you the best bed, and good this, and good that. What else do you like? Do you want anything special? So it says like this. We don't want the poor people that they have chalishut adat, that they be upset. Because when a person doesn't have a place to eat on Shabbat or in Yom Tov, to begin with, it destroys him mentally. 
look at me, I have to go, I need people to invite me, otherwise I'll be alone without food for Shabbat. I don't have wine, I don't have bread, no fish, no nothing. So the fact that you're sitting all week nervous, who is going to invite me for holiday for Yom Tov? It's already a big stress, right? It doesn't make you so happy. So if it doesn't make you so happy to begin with, so how do you make a poor person feel good? You tell him, hey, buddy, tonight we are also poor like you. Don't, no difference between you and us. You all the time eat bread of shame. <laughs> poor bread. Tonight we also eat bread of shame. This is one reason. Second reason is, no matter what you're going to do for a Jew, steaks, fish, lamb, meatballs, 50 different kinds of salad, 100 kinds of dessert, you did not fulfill your obligation even 1%. 1% even. The Gemara says in Baba Metziah, Rabbi Yochanan ben Matia sent his son to hire workers. You know how you go to, to some places in town, you see the Spanish people wait from the morning to the evening, maybe someone will come and call them to, to work. So you pass there, they sit all day, the amigos, all day, chit-chat, well, there's nothing to do, hoping someone will call them. So when you come, you say, ¿Cómo está, señor? You know how to paint? Of course! You know how to cut trees? Of course! You know how to, to, to build? Chitrak? Of course! Everything of course. Just take me out of my misery. So, Rav Yochanan ben Matya sent his son to, to hire workers. He said, don't promise them a meal. Ex agree with them on a the price and that's it. Just tell them that you're going to give them bread and vegetables. Because if you're going to say that you're going to give them a meal, since they are the children of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, no matter what you're going to give them, will not be enough. You still did not fulfill your nether. Like when you say to someone, come to me, I will feed you good. You already have a problem. Because no matter what you get for him, it will never be enough. So what are you going to do? You don't put yourself in this situation. We invite the poor people, because they are the children of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and we say to them, Halachmania, good? Good. Come. And then everything we will give them after, it's extra. I didn't promise you anything. So whatever you get, you get. Whatever you didn't get, you, can, you don't have any claim against me. Now, we said, the song, Everybody sing. Not that many people pay attention. What's different this night from all the nights? Right? that every night we eat chametz and we eat matzah. You can eat matzah, you can eat chametz. Right? As much as you want, from here and from this. Tonight, it's all matzah. 
no chametz. Okay. All nights we eat shari yerakot. Any vegetable you want, cucumbers, tomatoes, lettuce, whatever you like to eat, you eat. Halayla said, this night, what vegetables we eat? Maror, bider. Not sweet, nothing like that. Bider. That's the second difference. Third, שבכל הלילות אין לנו מטבילים אפילו פעם אחת. הלילה הזה שני פעמים. When we eat in other nights, we don't dip anything in liquid, like the vinegar water or the salt water. We don't do that. But tonight we do it twice. We dip the carpas, the celery, in the vinegar, and we dip the maror in the haroset. So tonight we, dip, we do two dipping. Double dip. <laughs> Double dip. Top. That's the third paragraph. שבכל הלילות אנו אוכלים בין יושבים ובין מסובים. Every night when we eat, whether we sit or whether we lay like this, like the king, depend on your mood. Back in the time, they used to eat on the floor, like in Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, until today they eat on the floor. They have a rug, everyone sits in circle, all the food is on a rug, everybody with his bread. So if they want to feel comfortable, they put few pillows on the side. And they lay like this, like kings. And they drink their chai. Can't finish the meal without the chai, even though it's not healthy. They think it's healthy, but it's not. So anyway, so sometimes you sit still. Sometimes you lay down, right? Tonight, you don't sit still. You, have, you must lay, da- lay down like this on the side, a sava. Why? You have to be like a king. King always eat like that. It has to be special. So when you eat the matzah, when you drink the glasses of wine, you have to be on the left side. Why the left side? If you be on the right side, it gadal vit kadash meraba. The food is going to go into your air pipe, and Hashem yirachem, what can happen next? Tov. So the fourth night is alayla ze kulanu mesubin. You know, they ask the gaon mivilna, Rabbi, how do you know everything? There's not one topic you don't know everything about it. I mean, there are a lot of smart people, but this guy's smart in this, and this guy's smart in this, and this guy's... You, every topic, you know everything. Where does this wisdom come from? We know that you're going to be the best in the world in Gemara, because you learn Gemara all your life. We know you know all the Torah by heart. You learn Torah all your life. We know you're an expert in halacha. You learn halacha all your life. But how are you the best in math? Everything, geometry, that. Well, where do you know all this from? How do you know history? How do you know this? How do you... Health. How do you know all these things? Medicine. Good question, right? Yeah. Where did he have time? He didn't go to college. You understand? So, where did he get it? And there was no Google to learn. No Google and no college, right? So he answered by giving a beautiful parable. He said, a person needs a rope. He wants to tie something. So he comes to a store and he found out that they're packing a lot of merchandise to a big businessman. He bought half of the store, packing these, bags here, a bag there, a bag there, right? 
and they tie it with lots of ropes. The worker of the, of the store, they tie this sack, they tie this sack, they tie this box. And he said, I want to buy a piece of rope, three feet. <laughs> so they told him, okay, $10, please. So he said, wait a minute, you just gave this guy 50 feet, and you, know, you don't seem to care, you tie, you tie, and it's left over. Why I want a little piece like this, you ask me $10. So they say to him, you fool, you compare yourself to him. <laughs> he bought so much merchandise with so much money. What do we care about the rope compared to how much we sold him? For him, the ropes are for free. For you, that you buy only the rope, pay top dollars for it. That's the parable. Now let's see who is clever here. That's the Gaoni Vilna. How did he answer them the question? Did you understand the answer or no? Very good. First time he beat you. It's always the first time. Very good. We need something from the left also. Even though I hate the left. <laughs> <laughs> What can I do? But anyway, <laughs> so, it's very good. When you show Hashem that you invest all your life in his Torah, all the ropes, meaning math, history, a little science, whatever you need to learn, he will throw it to you like the ropes. Part of the deal. It comes easy. But if you only come to learn the nonsense, not Torah, just to buy the rope, <laughs> meaning you only want to be a mathematician, you only want to learn uh, science, you only want to be a doctor, this, but you don't care about the Torah, now you're going to have to be in college seven, ten years to become a doctor. You understand or no? That explains how the Chazanish understood about brain surgery even though he never went to medical school. The famous draw that he made to the professor how to do a surgery. Why is it? Shortcut. By the way, it's not only when it comes to secular studies, also when it comes to Torah studies. Torah studies. I asked my cousin, I think uh, maybe 18 years ago, something like that, many years ago. I asked him, tell me, how is it possible? that every question I ever ask you, not only you know it, you know it by every detail and all the opinions of all the rabbis, left and right. How is it possible? There's millions of things to learn. When did you have that time? Back then he was in his 30s. Not something 90 years old, right? You say, oh, he learned 80 years. Okay, he knows. So he said to me, what do you think that the knowledge comes based on how many hours you sit and learn? No. Of course, it's important. If you learn more hours, then you're going to have more time to get more knowledge. But what knowledge will be kept by you, it depends on how do you learn, with what devotion and efforts, and what's your priorities in life. If you make the Torah everything in your life, and then everything else is secondary. I have it, I have it, I don't have it, I can care less about it.
But the Torah is the most important thing. Ase Toratcha Keva Umelachtecha Arai Make the Torah the center of your life. And Melachtecha, your business, real estate, medicine, whatever you have to do in your life to make a living. Secondary, meaning it's a burden for me. I hate it. What do you mean? You're a doctor. You're helping people every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a punishment for me to be a doctor. Punishment, ma. Open, open big. <laughs> open big. Wow, and garlic. Instead of being in yeshiva now, I have to smell this amigo. The pork coming from his breath into my face. I have to take people from their clothes. <laughs> take your clothes off. <laughs> cough. Idi Amin Dada. He decided to cough. Instead of being in yeshiva, being in heaven, I have to deal with these people. The Rambam, Rambam writes, all week I was taking care of Arabs. But what, what was in his mind when he was taking care of Ahmed and Mustafa? Mustafa sit here. He cared about Mustafa, he didn't care about Mustafa, and he didn't care about the king. His mind was always in the Torah, in Halakha, and that's it. I have to be here, I have to suffer, what can I do? Very good, 100%. You missed a beautiful mashal, I wish you come five minutes earlier. <laughs> you watch it on the video. The question they asked the Gaon Mivilna. Anyway, Rabotai, so you got the parable here? Once you buy a lot of merchandise, nobody cares about the rope. Take this, or like bags, take bags, take everything. Once you only come for the bags or for the rope, pay top dollars. You understand? And that's how the only Vilna answer to them that Hashem is giving it to me as a gift. Because I learned all my life Torah. So the little I learned secular studies here and there, in the bathroom, here, there, in places that I cannot learn Torah, <laughs> it comes to me and stays by me. It's very interesting. Now, we move on. It says, we were slaves to Paro in Egypt, and Hashem took us out of there with a strong hand. Beyad Chazaka, Uvizroa Strong hand and a lifted arm. It's all expressions. Meshalim, metaphoric. And if Hashem did not take us out of there, who did not take our father out of there, we and our children and our grandchildren, we were still slaves to Paro in Mitzrayim. This was written approximately 2,000 years ago. So that means this was already 1,300 years after the exodus of Egypt. What did the Chachamim saw to write in the Haggadah and if Hashem did not take us out of Mitzrayim, we will still be slaves to Paro until today. Is it realistic that a nation will be slaves for 1,300 years? What kind of slavery are they talking about? Physical or mental? We would not be exist. They would just, like the Greeks, they would make us go in completely. Now, the only reason we are who we are is because Hashem took us from Memtet Sha'aretumah, 49 gates of impurity. But if not, 
we would be totally slaves of the nonsense of the goyim there in Egypt. Even though we're all smart, if you say that we're all smart, and we're all wise, and we're all old and experienced, kulanu skenim, right? Kulanu yodim ta Torah, we all know the Torah, it's still an obligation to talk about the exodus of Egypt. Not only you are obligated to speak about it, even if you were the chief rabbi of the world. You know it by heart, you spoke about it thousands of times. You know every verse in Parashat Bo, and Parashat Vaera, and Parashat Shmot, and Parashat Beshalach. Those are the four parashot in the Torah that speaks about the exodus of Egypt. How we came to Egypt and how we came out of Egypt. So four parashot in the Torah explains about what happened there. Some rabbis will tell you the all four parashot by heart. So how many times do I have to repeat it? I know it already. Even if you're the biggest chacham, you still have an obligation and the more you do it, the better it gets. Now, one time the Gaon Mivilna said to his, children, to his students, he said, I want to give you a good advice for life. Take one Masechet from the Gemara and learn it by heart. Repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, non-stop, until you know the whole Masechet by heart. Why? Why you need to know at least one Masechet by heart? If one day you'll be in a hospital in bed, you cannot move, God forbid, you will have what to learn. You don't need to hold a book. You're not going to have a book. One day you get arrested. You're in jail. They took away everything from you. You're on a road. You're on a camel in the middle of the desert. You're on a plane now for 10 hours. You forgot your book. You always have what to learn. If you have at least one masechet by heart, you can go. This page, he said, he said, why this, that. You're learning Torah without any books. So it says, you have to know it perfectly. Like this, you will never have Bitul Torah at night. At night, there was no electric back in time. Once you put the candle off, that's it. So in the middle of the night, you want to get up and learn. It's a problem to create. People sleep in a tent next to you. It's not like today, 15 bedrooms in a house. You debate which room should I learn tonight. I want uh, the blue walls or the red walls. You know? So, <laughs> so one student told the Gaon Mivilna, Bezrat Hashem, I'm going to learn Masechet Sukkah by heart. So he learned Masechet Sukkah. He came to him in Chola Moed to the sukkah of the Gaon Mivilna, to tell him, I now control fully Masechet Sukkah. The rabbi said to him, are you sure? The Gaon Mivilna. He said, yes. Bevadai, I can tell you the whole Masechet word by word from the beginning to the end. What can go wrong? Right? He asked him, how many disagreements you have in a machloket between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda? <laughs> How can you remember such thing? He obviously didn't know. He said, How many machlokot you have between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon? He didn't know. How many machlokot you have between Abaye and Rava? 
He didn't know. Rav Papa and Rav Una. He didn't know. Then the Gaon Mivilna started to count. He told him all the machlokot between these all four couples. And in each machloket, the halacha is like whom? The halacha is like this rabbiir, the halacha is like this rabbiir, everything. And then he said to him, how many, how many cases of sukkah that is not kosher you have in Masechet Sukkah? And how many cases of sukkah that is kosher are described in Masechet Sukkah. Look to the knowledge that he had. And of course he didn't know. So he said to him, do you know how many times they describe not kosher Sukkah? Keminyan Sukkah. Samech, Chaf, Hey. 85 Sukkot that are not kosher. Samech, Chaf, Hey. Sukkah without the Vav. You can spell it with the Vav and without the Vav. And how many... Times, how many cases they describe sukkah that it is kosher in Masechet Sukkah? Sukkah with a vav. 91. This is the knowledge of the Gaon Vilna. Not only he knew the old Gemara by heart and everything, what's the halacha, he can tell you by number how many disagreements you have between these two couple in the whole chapter, in the whole Masechet. Unbelievable. And do you see now the secrets in the Talmud? 85 descriptions of non-kosher sukkah, gimatria, samech, hafei, sukkah without the vav. 91 descriptions of Torah, of, of sukkah that is kosher, sukkah with the vav, 91. No coincidence. Secrets. A lot of secrets inside. Who knows how many more secrets we have in the Talmud that we're not even aware of. Tov. מעשה ברבי אליעזר ורבי יהושע ורבי אלעזר בן עזריה ורבי עקיבא ורבי טרפון. פייב חכמים שהיו מסובין בבני ברק. Which בני ברק? Where was בני ברק? Same בני ברק like today? What, they were sitting in, uh, in Ledermander או in רחוב חזוניש? Where exactly they were? In case you didn't know Bnei Brak became a city of Torah thanks to which rabbi? Chazonish. Chazonish made Bnei Brak a place of Torah. There was nothing there. When he came, there was very, very little there. Everyone was like going there, the Tzionim, this. Chazonish insisted to open, he told people to open yeshivot and Talmudet Torah, and he made it a place of Torah. So which Bnei Brak they were talking about? Why they called the city in Israel Bnei Brak? Based on the city of this Chachamim. Where that was this Bnei Brak? Probably somewhere in the Galilee, in the north. They were sitting all night and talking about the exodus of Egypt. Not like us. 1 a.m. already. Shir Hashirim Asher Lishlomoch. We walk very hard, Rabbi. Here, look, the women didn't come today. They're busy with Pesach, Baruch Hashem. So, five big chachamim, tanaim, mechayem etim, sit and talk about the Exodus Egypt all night until their student came and they say, Rabbis, it's already the time for Kriyat Shema. So if it was today, 
It was like 6.58 in the morning. Netzachama. Rabbi, we have to say Shema. The best time to say Shema, it's in Netzachama. That's the right, right away. As soon as you can say it, say it right away. That's how Chacham Ben Zion Abba Shaul used to do. He did not pray Netz, but he used to say Shema in the Netz every morning, before the Shachrit. So he said to him, Rabbi, meaning if the, Chacham, if the Talmidim would not come and wake them up from their learning, they did not even pay attention that the time of Kriyat Shema came. That's how deep they were inside the learning. Now, this is very interesting thing right here. Amar Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. Are ani keben shivim shana, velo zachiti shetamer yetziat mitzrayim balelot. How old was Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah when he became the president of Israel? Huh? Eighteen. 18 years old. 18, just came out of high school. <laughs> Tov. He became the president. Who was the president before him? Rabban Gamliel. A giant chacham. And also very big meyuchas. He has very important, uh, very important uh, genealogy. Which family he comes from? King David. The Gemara says when Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai came to the, to the Roman Caesar to surrender after three years that they made seas around Jerusalem, nobody can get food, nobody comes in and out besides some funerals that they send body out of Jerusalem. For three years the Romans were surrounding Jerusalem and, and there's no food. And few rich people in Israel supply all the money and the food for all the people of Jerusalem for three years. When they, there was nothing left, the president, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, went to surrender. So he went to the, to the Roman Caesar. And, uh, you know, he asked him, he told him, uh, why, you, why you made me wait for you three years? So he said to him, the gangster did not let us out. They were surrounding the Choma from inside. And everyone wanted to surrender. They don't let this. Don't let us. I had to pretend I'm dead now. I came in a coffin. They took me out. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to come to you. So he said to him, but why did you call me Adoni Melech? Why did you call me Shalom Adoni Melech? I'm not a king. I'm only a Caesar, meaning a governor of this area. The king of Rome, it's in Rome, in Italy over there. You insulted the king. Someone that insults the king has to be executed, Rabbi. So he said to him, I did not make a mistake. I called you a king because soon you're going to be the new king. So, oh, oh this Rabbi is giving me good news. What makes you say so? He said, because Hashem does not put the Jewish nation in the hand of a loser. Only in the hand of important people. So if you, the governor, that were chosen to come here and give us hard time, for sure you're going to be the king soon. As he spoke, a messenger just showed up. A messenger just showed up. Caesar, I have good news for you. You were chosen to be the new king of Rome. The king died, you have to come to Rome. He saw the rabbi knows what he's talking about. He said to him, Rabbi, you gave me such good news. Okay, what would you like 
ask from me now before I leave. I owe you one. So he was trying to wear his shoe. One shoe was on. He was trying to put the next shoe. And the shoe did not go on. So how can it be every day I wear the shoes and now the shoe doesn't go on? So the rabbi told him, when someone gets a good rumor, his body expands, the bones. If you want the shoe to fit, look at the face of someone you hate for a few seconds. I'll take away your pleasure and the shoe will go on. And that's what happened. We realized this rabbi is something special. He liked him. Okay, let me give you something. So he said to him, I want you, don't kill the Chachamim in Yavne, Sanhedrin. One yeshiva, I won't kill them. Okay. And uh, make your doctor cure Rabbi Tzadok for three years, he's fasting. That was the schud that they couldn't break us because of Rabbi Tzadok was fasting every day. His stomach became like a piece of paper. So about to die any minute. So he said, use your doctors to cure Rabbi Tzadok. From here you see that sometimes the doctors of the Goyim can be better than the doctors of Israel. Because you see, no one in Israel knew how to cure a Bitzadok's stomach. You need the doctor Ichigawa from Japan to, to cure the rabbi. No problem. Why? He went to Harvard. What do you want? No problem. You be Chacham in Torah. Let Maharaji and uh, Mustafa and Chris, let them be the big doctors, no problem. When we need them, we'll call them. We use their knowledge. Chochmah bagoim ta'amin. So, cure the rabbi. No problem, we'll cure the rabbi. And don't touch Rabban Gamliel. So this Caesar thought, big deal, I don't kill this rabbi. I cure this rabbi. And I don't touch this yeshiva. No big deal. Why did he ask for those three? Because he knew, thanks to Rabbi Tzadok, we are all protected. As long as he's alive, they can't touch us. Second, if you will kill Sanhedrin, who is going to continue the Torah? There's not going to be Torah. And if you kill Rabban Gamliel, he's from the family of David Amelech, then Mashiach will never come. The Mashiach has to come from his family. So he said, don't touch Rabban Gamliel. So this is Rabban Gamliel that was the president. They fired him. They fired him. Who did they put instead of him? An 18 years old boy. A boy from yeshiva. Who? Rabbi El-Azar ben Azaria. Does it make sense to you? Imagine today when Chacham Ovadia was alive, or Rav Eliashiv, or Rav Shach, that you would come to, uh, to him with, uh, with 50 important business people. Rav Shach, Rav Ovadia, Rav Eliashiv. My son is 18 years old, he just came out of high school. We don't like the way you teach, you're too strict. We want to fire you from the congregation. The board decided to fire you, Rabbi. And my son will take your place. Imagine such a thing. What would happen in Israel? It would be the end of your life. They put Pashkevils all over. This is moron. Look what he suggested to fire Chacham Ovadia and put his 18 years old son. Plus, there is hundreds of old Chachamim. 90, 95, 91, 88, 103. Big Chachamim. Rav Steinemann, Rav Wozner, many others. 
Wait a minute. Okay, let's say your son is a very, very big chacham, 18 years old. But he's better than Rav Shneineman. You want to get rid of Rav Eliashi, fine. But you have Rav Ozner, you have Rav Karelitz, you have a lot of big chachamim, Rav Sternbuch, Mama, Rav Chaim Kanievsky. Who is this boy? Not only that they agree, all the old rabbis actually made him the king. How can it be such thing? It's against all the rules and all the regulation. Did you ever think about it or no? They couldn't find an old chacham. They need to find an 18 years old boy. Chacham Ovadia went to Egypt. There was nothing there. He didn't have competition over there. Rav Ezra Atiyah sent him because there was nothing there. And he made, he made the, the community what he made them. So Rabotai, listen to what's going on here. I'm going to tell you a big secret now. That you tell it to your family in Lela Seder, it will make the night for them. What does he say? First of all, you know in the Gemara it says that he woke up in the morning and the front of his beard became all white. By us it takes 20 years until the beard becomes white. Right? From the minute you grow a beard until it becomes white, it takes 25, 30 years. By him, overnight. What is the significance that the beard became white in the front? First, it's an unbelievable miracle, right? You go to sleep with a black beard, you wake up in the morning, it looks white. What is the purpose that Hashem made his beard look white? That he won't look like a little kid from high school. They would look older. Look, he has white beard. He looks 40. Okay, 40, it's okay. 45. Let's see who is clever here. But there is a much bigger significance than the miracle. What is the significance of the beard becoming white overnight? He went to sleep, and in the morning he became white. See why we need Chacham Kalim here? Once in a while he does us a favor to share with us his knowledge. By the way, he got the point. I have to confess, it took me years until I got the point. I only got the point a year ago, that's it. For years I was reading it and I never paid attention to it. What is the point? Yes, you heard it from me after it took me years to realize. Not that the miracle, he went to sleep and the beard became white overnight. It happened the night after they asked you to be the president. Meaning that Hashem agreed. He put a stamp. I agree. You deserve to be a president. Now the wonder, it's even bigger. Not only everyone agree, Hashem himself agree. And he did something to help you in your job. Otherwise, why Hashem makes a miracle? You, if Hashem didn't agree with that, he wanted him to be fired after a week to give up, no? But Hashem helped him out. He made his front of the beard white. Who was Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah? He was the reincarnation of Prophet Samuel, Shmuel Anavi. That the Gemara says equal like Moshe and Aaron combined. In his previous life, he lived 52 years. Shmuel the prophet, he passed age 52. 
Where is he buried? In Jerusalem. You go towards Ramot. If you know Jerusalem, Ramot is on your right. You go from Shmuel Anavi. The name of the street is Shmuel Anavi. It's a fast road. You drive about five minutes. And then after you pass Ramot, on the right side, you see a big tower, the grave of Shmuel Anavi. Kever Shmuel. How many years he lived? 52. He lived in the time of King Saul and in the time of King David. He nominated those kings. And he passed 52, and now he's 18 years old. 52 plus 18 is how much? 70. That's what he's saying over here. Don't look at me, I'm 18 years old. I remember all my Torah from my last Gilgul. That's what the Arya Kadosh say. All my Torah came with me to this world. Why do you think they were so impressed by an 18 years old man? Because he was in a level of 90, 95, all the other Chachamim. Nothing less than that. It was something unheard of. So he said, If you combine both of my life, the years of my life, I'm like 70 years old now. And in my previous life, and in my life over here, I never saw that Yetziat Mitzrayim, that the exodus of Egypt, is discussed at night. What's going on here? What do you mean, ma? Nobody ever spoke about the Exodus of Egypt of night? Every year we read the Agadah, no? Every year we discuss the Exodus of Egypt for 3,300 years in the time of Shmuel and in the time of Rabbi Elazar. Everybody spoke about the Exodus of Egypt every year in Pesach at least, at least once a year, no? Now what do you want to say? That nobody ever gave a speech about the Exodus of Egypt at night? In all your life, 70 years of life? Come on. It happens every day today. Every day someone speaks about it in his speeches. What is he talking about it? Listen carefully. will translate soon. ימי חייך הימים, כל ימי חייך הלילות, וחכמים אומרים, ימי חייך העולם הזה, כל ימי חייך להביא לימות המשיח. Help the, the heat. Oh, I saw it coming, you see? Who would believe in such a day I would sweat? טוב, so what do we see over here? Now you're going to get a very big secret here. What kind of exodus of Egypt is talking about? If you know when we pray Arvit, right? Every night when we pray Arvit, we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. And we have three paragraphs. First, Ve'avta et Hashem Elokecha. Then, Ve'ayayim Shamoa Tishmehu. Ve'ayomer Hashem El Moshe, Daber Ebn Yisrael, Ve'asu Laim Tzitzit, Al Kanfei Bignem. So first of all, in the old days, Tfilat Arvit was permission, not obligation. That's one thing. And even the people who prayed Arvit, apparently they did not include the chapter of the Exodus of Egypt in the Tfilah. They didn't say, Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, Daber al Bnei Israel, Vamarta alem, Vasu lahem tzitzit, Al kanfei vigdehem, Ledorotam, Vayalachem le tzitzit, Ureitem oto, Uzkhartem, 
Right? What does it, how does it finish? אני השם אלוקיכם, אשר הוצאתי אתכם מארץ מצרים להיות לכם לאלוקים, נכון? That's how it finish. So he comes, רבי אלעזר, and he say, whether it's in my life now, whether in my previous life when I was Shmuel the prophet, it wasn't said in a night as an obligation. Nobody had an obligation to speak about the exodus of Egypt as a part of the everyday routine. Until one day, one Chacham showed up, his name is Ben Zoma, and he said, a drasha from the Torah. He brings a verse from the Torah. Kol yemechayecha. Why the Torah say, Leman tizkor, that you should remember at yom tzedcha me'eretz mitzrayim, the day that you came out of Egypt, kol yemechayecha, the entire days of your life. It's an extra word here. All your life. What do you mean, kol yemechayecha? Why do you have this word kol? It's come to include something. So it says like this, the Torah should have said yemechayecha. If the Torah say yemechayecha, yom means day. Not night, yemei chayecha, the days of your life, not the nights of your life. But because the Torah say, kol yemei chayecha, the entire days of your life, it's include the night, 24 hours. Not only the day of light, also include the night. So from the pasuk that has an extra word, kol yemei chayecha, we learn that you also have to talk about the day that you came out of Egypt, not only in the days of your life, also in the night of your life. Who taught us this secret? This Chacham named Ben Zoma. But the Chachamim disagree. The Chachamim say, no, that's not the meaning of the Pasuk. Why the Pasuk is talking about Kol Yemechayecha? They say, Yemechayecha, it's in this world. When you live in this world. Kol Yemechayecha, to include the days of Mashiach. If you died and you came back in the resurrection of the dead in the time of Mashiach, this life that you will get back again is also included that you will still have an obligation to talk about the exodus of Egypt. I don't understand. What is the chidush of the Chachamim? They discover America? What's happening here? Why would the Chachamim have Ava Amina that when Mashiach come, anything in the Torah is going to change? If I have an obligation to talk about the exodus of Egypt now, so when Mashiach come, I will still have the same obligation to put filin, to put talit, to do all these things, right? Right or wrong? So when Mashiach come, I'm still going to have to put filin, yes. I'm going to still have to keep Shabbat, yes. I still will have to do lulav, yes. I will still have to do to talk about the exodus of Egypt. What's the, the option, the opinion of the Chachamim? The Chachamim say, you may think that now when Mashiach came and saved us this time for good, it's not a, a temporary salvation like Passover, that we came out of Egypt, but we still are being chased by the Goim and destroyed. They're killing us nonstop. So it's not a perfect salvation. Now, right now, we don't have anything better, so we have to keep talking about it. But when Mashiach comes, and he cleans all the world from all the wicked people, 
and there's no more enemies of the nation of Israel, and no antisemites, and none of these things. And now it's a final salvation. It's going to be an embarrassment to even talk about the salvation of Egypt compared to the salvation we just got. It's similar to a guy that had a beautiful silver coin. Silver coin. Wow, so shiny. 99% silver. Dollar, American dollar, pure silver. All day he comes, he takes it out, he looks at that. How much it's worth? I don't know, 50 bucks, whatever it's worth. That's what he have. Now he got a five-carat diamond. $100,000. From the minute he got the diamond, does he even take the silver coin with him anymore? Seven. He puts it in a drawer for the rest of his life, right? So now, until now, I had a silver coin. I still have a lot of problems. Now I just got a diamond. You want me to continue to carry the silver coin? The Chachamim say yes. That's the Chidush. That's why the Torah say, Even in a time of Mashiach, you still have to do it. Tov. Now let's learn a beautiful secret here. The what? Yes. Right. Okay, so now the question is the Chachamim. When the Chachamim say what they say about the Pasuk, is that means that the Tzvara of Ben Zoma is dismissed? No. Because I tell you why. Sometimes you can do that it will match according to both opinions. It's not that it's a contradiction. For instance, I'll give you an example. If one Chacham say you have to do it, and one Chacham say it's a sin to do it, that's a problem. Because if you're going to do like both of them, you're going to do and a sin at the same time. It's not going to be good. But if you can do it like one of them, and it's not contradicting the other one, okay, the other one holds differently. What did I lose by saying it? Right? So now, wait, wait. It gets much better now. It gets much better. When the Gaon Mivilna used to get to this paragraph in the Torah, this is what he says. The Gemara, the Midrash, Bereshit Rabbah, pay attention carefully now. The Midrash Rabbah, Chaf Yud, it says like this, La'atid lavo, to the future to come, when Mashiach come, everyone will be cured. All sick people will be cured. No more diabetes, no more cancer, no more uh, bipolar, no more paralyzed people, no more wheelchair, no more back pain. None of the, there's millions of sicknesses in the world. Millions. And all the sicknesses of all the righteous people that will survive in days of Mashiach, will all be cured. Blind people will see perfectly. Deaf people will see perfectly. Someone that has glasses will not need glasses. Everything will be perfect. Everything will go back. Now, Akol Nirpaim, everyone will come back to a perfect situation. Chutz Minanachash, except the snake. Why the snake? Sheneemar, because it's written in Isaiah 65, verse 25. Yeshaya 
סמכי פסוק כ"ח. The prophet Yeshaya, Isaiah, he said the prophecy of the days of Mashiach. What's going to happen in the world, in Israel, when Mashiach comes? So he described a lot of wonderful things. For instance, it says like this, The wolf and the sheep will be together, and the wolf won't attack the sheep. The lion and the cows will eat straws together. ונחש עפר לחמו, and the snake still eats sand, like the curse that God curse him after the sin of Adam and Eve. How many curses the snake got? How many snakes? How many curses? Three. One, there will be hatred between you to mankind. They will all hunt you and you will hunt them. Okay. Second, Second, I'll chop your legs, because he had legs like crocodile. So no more legs. You will have to crawl on your stomach all the time. And third, everything you're going to eat will always taste like sand. Now, which one of the three curses will remain forever with the snake, even in days of Mashiach, according to the prophet? One of the three curses will remain. One curse that he will be in hatred between him and people will be dismissed. No snakes will attack people when Mashiach comes. That's it. No one will die from poison snake, nothing. Second, maybe the snakes will have his legs back. But whatever he's going to eat is still tasting like sand. How did they know? How do they know? Listen carefully. It says like this. ונחש עפר לחמו, לא ירעו ולא ישחיתו בכל הר קודשי. Nobody can do anything bad in a mountain of God, אמר השם. He's talking about the days of Mashiach. Now, when Hashem cursed the snake, what did he tell him about eating sand? Ve'afar tochal kol yemei chayecha. He should have said to him, Ve'afar tochal kol chayecha, or yemei chayecha. Why did he say extra word, kol yemei chayecha? What did we just learn? Kol yemei chayecha, the Chachamim say, how the Chachamim know that Kol Yemei Chayecha is talking about days of Mashiach. How did they know? They knew the Pasuk from Yeshaya, that the Yeshaya says, even in the time when Mashiach came. And they look in Parashat Bereshit, that Hashem said to the Nachash, which is an extra word, meaning everything will go back to perfect, one thing will remain. You're still eating. So they realize that Hashem said an extra word in the Torah, כל ימי חייך, meaning even when Mashiach come and everyone will be perfect, you still eat sand. 
And the Chachamim say, oh, that's the meaning of the Pasuk. Kol yemechayecha, this is what it says, leman tiskor et yom tzedcha me'eretz mitzrayim, kol yemechayecha, kol yemechayecha, even when Mashiach come, and you may think it's not relevant anymore. We have a much better salvation. No, 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 my friend. You can never forget the salvation then. You still have to remember it. Kol yemechayecha, even in the time of Mashiach. It's unbelievable. How many secrets in one little paragraph? Tov. We call, it's continuing the Agadah, Baruch HaMakom, Baruch Hu. Baruch Shenatan Torah Lamo Israel Baruch Hu. Why we call HaKadosh Baruch Hu HaMakom? The place. Is that a good name or a bad name? There are many names to Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem, Elohim, Yudke Vavke, a lot of names. Shin Daled and Yud, all of a sudden, Hamakom. Baruch, why, you said, why don't you say Baruch Hashem? Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hu. Baruch Shenatan Torah Lao Israel, Baruch Hu. Why Baruch Hamakom? Or when we go to Nechum Avelim, Lo Alenu, what do we say to them? Hamakom, Yenachem Otchem, Betoch Shar Avelitzion. Right? What do we say? Amakom yenachem otchem. Meaning Hashem will comfort you. Will send you comfort. Why amakom? Why we don't say God? What does it mean amakom? Two answers. One is that Hashem is in every place. Bechol makom ba'olam. No matter where you are, Hashem is there. Afilu betochtum otam bemitzrayim Hashem was there. And uh, although there are a few places in the Torah that it's written that if Hashem will see that we are not modest or certain things, he will run away from that place. It doesn't mean that he ran from that place completely, meaning the Shekhinah ran away. But the presence of Hashem must be all the time, everywhere. Just like the song of the children by Uncle Moishi. What does, it, what does he sing? Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere, right? Up, down, right, left, right, whatever the song is. Oh, you woke up, Baruch Hashem, after an hour. Tomod. Maybe I should get you that tape of Uncle Moishi. <laughs> ah, so maybe instead of giving lecture, I become a singer. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So one reason is Hashem is everywhere. And second, Makom Milashon Mekayem Vekayam. That Hashem exists forever and Hashem always keeps His word. Makom, Kayam, Mekayem, it's all come from the same root. Keneged Arba'a Banim Dibra Torah. The Torah is talking about four different kinds of children. Chacham, Rasha, Tam ve'echad she'eno yodea lishol. Smart, wicked, innocent, or complete, and one that does not know how to ask. It's a little bit strange. Should have been wise, foolish, wicked, righteous. No? It has to go in pairs. Good and bad. Bad and good. Why? What's the connection now? First of all, it should have been 
it should have been Chacham, and right after that, Sheeno Yodea Lishol. Someone who doesn't know how to talk, doesn't know how to ask a simple question, that's the fool. So you have Chacham, it's the smart. What's go against the Chacham? The fool. So it should have been Chacham, Sheeno Yodea Lishol, and then Rasha, the wicked one. And what's the opposite of Rasha? Tam. Yaakov Ishtam Yoshev Oalim. Tzadik. Tam means complete. Without problems. But the Torah, but the Agadah made a mess here. Rasha, Chacham, Rasha, Tam, Veno Yodea Lishon. It's not in the right order. The answer, Rabotai, everything is very, very deep here. Why the Torah made two marriages? One is between Chacham, Agadah, Chacham and Rasha, Tam and Veno Yodea Lishon. Why? It should have not been. Should have been like I said. Chacham v'sheino yodea lishol, that's one and the opposite. Rasha and tam, it's davar v'ipucho. Why? To teach us a very important foundation. Why people are wicked? Because they're not chacham. If they would sit and learn Torah a lot, they become big chachamim. En amaharetz chasid. The Gemara said, you cannot be an ignorant person and be righteous at the same time. It's not possible. Even if you have a good heart and good intention, since you do not know anything from left and right, every minute of your life you make sins. In a restaurant, on the streets, on the computer, in the tefillah. How many people, I see them in shul, they don't know even how to pray. Simple halakot of second grade, they don't know. They're religious from birth. And they never learn. They don't learn. They speak after Baruch Shamar. They speak in the middle of Shema. They answer to people in the middle. Unbelievable things that they do. You wonder. I saw a family of Kohanim, father and three or four sons, in a Brit Mila, doing Birkat Kohanim. Now one of them knew how to do Birkat Kohanim. They didn't know when to go like this and when to go like this. Nothing. Just stand like this, like statues. No, like this. Hashem, stay like this. Veishmerecha, still stand like this. Good thing they didn't stay like this. Ba'alenu l'shabeach. Alenu l'shabeach. L'adon akol. Now what? Rabotai, we're talking 20, 30, 40 years. They do it probably every day or every week. They still don't know how to do it. They never even learn how to do Birkat Kohanim, even though they have to, this is one of the main things they have to do. They never learn how to do. So you don't know, how are you going to, if you don't learn, how are you going to know? So they want to teach you. You know why you Rasha? Because you're not a Chacham. If you would be a Chacham, it would help you not to be a Rasha. Now, Tam and the other one. Tam means perfect, complete. But wait, I have a few more things to say about those four boys. One thing is, the Rasha, what does the Rasha say? The Rasha says, What is this service to you? Meaning, you're Jews, but not me. But we don't understand. What does the Chacham say? What the Chacham say? חכם שם מה העדות והחוקים והמשפטים אשר ציווה השם אלוקינו אתכם. 
What do you mean at Chem? Are you not obligated? The Chacham, he asked, what is all these commandments that Hashem ordered you? Huh? That's one option. But what is the, everybody asks, what is the difference between the Chacham and Rasha? The Chacham say, our God commanded you, and the Rasha say, what is all these laws to you? So it looks similar. So why you say to one of them, to the Rasha, and to the Chacham you clap? It looks like they both say the same thing. The answer is, Rabotai, there's one difference between the Chacham and the Rasha. What is it? The Chacham say, Hashem Elokeinu. Etchem. Because I'm talking to you, so I'm asking you. Doesn't mean not me. I'm included. Once I already say, our God, I'm in. That's the main thing. The Rasha say, what the Rasha say? The Rasha comes and say, first of all, it doesn't mention the name of Hashem at all. And he said, Excuse me, what is all these things you guys doing? What do you mean, you guys? You're also Jewish. <laughs> you also have to do. No, no, it's not for me. I'm not, I'm not religious. They think that by saying I'm not religious, they are dismissed. <laughs> the Gaumi Vilna say, the, the Rasha, not only that he does not include himself with the nation of Israel, he did not mention the name of Hashem. So for that, it's a Akechinav. What does it mean, Akechinav? It's an expression. Many people are puzzled. What does it mean? One, Kehe can be dark. Kehe means not sharp. If you have a knife that is very sharp, after a while it becomes Sakin Keha. Meaning it doesn't cut so good anymore. The teeth, the front teeth, they are cutting teeth, right? If they sharp, they cut. So there's like an expression, make his teeth be unable to cut, meaning that the teeth would lose their purpose. But still, we don't understand what do, we, what do they want here. What should we do to this Rasha? What does it mean, Akechina? What, I'm going to take something and rub his, uh, his teeth? Literally? Obviously, that's not what they meant. What does it mean, Akechina? What is the gematria of the word Rasha? Rasha, 570. Resh, 200. Shin, 300. Ayn, 70. Right? What is the gematria of Tzadik? 204. Tzadik. So, Rasha, 570. Minus 204. How much? 366. Right? The difference between Tzadik and Rasha. Gimatria Shinav. Do you know what's the difference between the Tzadik and Rasha? 366. Gimatria Shinav. That's a very interesting secret here. Now, now,
דרשע The question we have to ask, why do we even have to answer the Rasha? If you have a wicked person, come and make fun. What is these things you do, you, these strange things you do? Why do you answer him? Don't waste my time. Why do I have to even waste time on this let's, on this clown? Huh? One option is that he speaks in front of other people, makes bad, maybe making bad influence. So you have to give him the answer that nobody will fall into his trap. Yes? What do you mean? It's your son. It's four sons. They give an analogy that you have four different kinds of sons. One chacham, one tam, tzaddik. Meaning it's not such a big chacham, but he's a tzaddik. One is a nebech. He doesn't know how to, answer, to ask questions. He's not so smart. And the other one is a clever, wicked rasha. Four different kinds of kids. I'll show you a lot of chilonim sitting in a seder, putting this light yamaka on the head, enjoying playing with their iPhone. And you have to see, if they're Persian, they have scallion, they break people's head like this. They come from Great Neck with a car to the religious family in Brooklyn. Ara, Chetori, boom! That's what they come for, to break someone's head and to eat Gondi. Gondi is Hametz or no? No. Chickpeas. Chickpeas. What? Do you think they... After two minutes later, they sit and watch television. There's a game tonight. It's family gathering. Ma, why go, in, uh, go around the tree in Christmas? They care about Christmas? They're not religious. Tony, Vini, Jose. They enjoy the family. Some gifts, nice. Singing a little bit to Santa. Why? People like re- holidays. Nothing to do with the truth. <laughs> so, Rav Chacham Ben Sion, Abba Shaul said, everything in life, there are two ways to translate what you just heard. If somebody asks you a question, there are two options. One is really genuinely really trying to learn. He doesn't know, so he's asking an innocent question. Why do we have to do it? It looks strange. He doesn't come to make fun. And sometimes the only reason he asks it is to put you down. So how do you know the meaning of what you just heard? How do you know the meaning? It could be this, it could be that. How do you know what you have to guess? The answer is you know the meaning by the identity of the person that asked the question. Depend who is asking. Depend who is asking. Sometimes you have a question. So the rabbi asks his wife, who is asking, the husband or the wife? Why does he need to know? Because if, if she will say the husband, he will know what answer to give. And if she will say the wife, he will know what answer to give. You understand? Because it all depends who asks, because behind every question, there is a problem that disturbs that person. As a man, it's one problem. If it's a woman, it's a different problem. A big chacham 
he doesn't answer literally to what people speak to him. He answers to what he really knows that bothers them. Let's not waste time. Why? You didn't answer my question. I don't care about your question because your question doesn't even bother you. What really bothers you is this. So I'm, I'm giving you already a shortcut. That's really the problem. Sometimes the ego doesn't let them admit. Sometimes, oh, you're right. That's really what bothers me. Okay, here you go. That's the answer. Goodbye. So it says like this. If your son is chacham, learn Torah, he comes from yeshiva, and he asks a question that sounds bad. Ah, come on, you don't ask questions like this. He's asking such a question. But since you know he's a serious tzaddik, he's learning Torah, you give him the benefits of the doubt that he did not mean to make fun. He really doesn't know the answer. So you give him full sincerity and you give him the full answer. But if the Rasha is asking, we already must judge him to the negative side, not to give him the benefits of the doubt. So immediately we have to know that the reason he's asking is to make fun. What if not? Sometimes wicked people also want to know the answer. We don't care. Most of the time they do it to make fun, to show you that the religion is nothing and I know what I'm doing. That's really, they don't care really about the truth. That's why I have to be tough with him. Don't ask questions over here. I'll give you an example. One time I drive in FDR drive, north, getting to the George Washington Bridge direction, tribal. I hear a cassette, tape, of Chacham Ovadia Yosef. A lecture he gave about 25 years ago. Back then, it used to be cassettes still in a... <laughs> so I hear Rav Ovadia speaking about the election is coming. The election in Israel to the government. If anyone will vote for a secular party, all their sins and the problems that they will make the nation do comes to his account. You become their partner. No permission to vote for this Mechalelei Shabbat, haters of the Torah. You must vote for a religious party. Shas. He was the representative of Shas, the rabbi of Shas. One person got up and he asked him, Kvod Arav, but if a person votes for a religious party that is a small one, anyway they go together in partnership with the wicked people to, to form a government. So I'm listening to this guy, he's asking the question. I said, this voice is very familiar to me. <laughs> this voice is very familiar. All of a sudden, Ravovadia Yosef became like a torch of fire. Chef Besheket Chatsuf, sit down, you arrogant. How do you dare to ask such a question? He had to see for five minutes, he was killing him. And the guy said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, I realized who the guy is. Who is he? My uncle. <laughs> he passed already. He said, my aunt said, for one month he did not sleep after that. He couldn't, he could not sleep. He was destroyed. So, why Chacham Ovadia did not say to him, 
an answer, giving him a good answer. He had a very good answer. In the end of the speech, he gave the answer when he finished his speech. And those who ask this question, you should know that once we with them together in the government, we prevent half of the bad things they want to do. We fight with them. But if we're outside, we have no control. They do whatever they want. Like this, at least, we make them not cut the budget of the yeshivot, not selling uh, pork everywhere, not making public transportation, not canceling the, the marriage by the Rabbanut. They want to cancel it. They want to marry everyone with everyone, with Goim. They don't care. We are fighting from inside. He could have given him the answer quietly, and that's it. Why he started to scream at him? Because his impression was that this guy did not ask me to know the answer. He asked me to pinch me. Like, what, are you telling us we're not allowed to vote for this? For, for, for secular? Anyway, you, the religious people, will join them anyway. So he's, but then my uncle went to him every day. Rabbi, mechila. Okay, I forgave you. The next day again. Rabbi, mechila. How many times mechila? I told you machul. Every day. Machul. machul. As soon as you see him. Relax. Machul. For one month he didn't sleep. <laughs> I, when I saw him, I said to him, what got in your mind to get up in front of 300 people and ask such a question? He said, I don't know. <laughs> but he just could not get out of it. Mamash, it affected him maybe for the rest of his life. A few years later, he passed. Tov, Hashem irachem. So it depends who is asking. Now I want to ask you a question. Sheno yodea lishol. Someone ignorant. You have a son, he's foolish, not so smart. He doesn't know how to ask. He's not understanding so much. At ptachlo. Bring him closer. Help him out. Elaborate it for him. Make it easier for him to understand. Why it say at and not ata? You're talking to a man. The father has an obligation to teach his son, not the mother. Why they say at ptachlo? At meaning it's like a wife. Well, it's not. Huh? What does it mean at? It says like this. Between men and women, how many percentage of the speeches are done by women during the day and how many are done by the men? Who likes to speak more, men or women? Here is a conversation in the house. The wife described the table and chairs that she ordered today online. 20 minute speech. The husband, oh nice. <laughs> That's all you have to say? What else do you want me to say? <laughs> so the whole conversation is, man speaks very short. Women, machine gun, more and more. Tisha kabina, So the Torah say, the Agadah say, on Lela Seder, you have to be like a woman. Don't save on speaking. Speak a lot. That's the purpose of the night. Don't say to your son, you know, we came out of Egypt. You got it? Yeah. Hashem destroyed them. He gave them ten plagues. He took us out. He gave us the Torah. We came to Israel. We built the temple. And here we are. One minute, the seder is over. Nah. 
We have to talk. That's one thing. Other answer, at. Aleph is the first letter in the alphabet, taf the last. Teach from the beginning to the end with lots of patience. That's another answer. Now, one more thing. If someone does not know even how to ask questions, the boy, he doesn't know. If you don't know how to ask questions, will you ever know how to learn Torah? You're afraid to ask. You're not learning anything. So one of the ways to become knowledgeable is to ask questions. If you sit in the class and you're afraid to ask your teacher a question, you won't, it's like me and my mother, every time we went to the doctor when I was a kid, she was so afraid from this evil doctor that she never asked how to use the medicine because he had no patience. So once or twice she tried and he gave her such a dead look, she almost fainted. <laughs> so from now on, she was doing experiments on me. Try twice today, tomorrow three times. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was afraid to ask. And you know how the doctors write. You don't understand a word of what they write. <laughs> Here you go, why? He was such an evil person that when you talk to him, he wasn't even answering. It's like treating you like you're a wall. Nothing, my much like this. So you're afraid. That's not how you're going to learn. You're not going to know. You have to ask. You have to teach him how to ask. And if your son is not asking, and as a result of that you're not answering him, whose fault it is? Yours. You did not fulfill your obligation to teach your son Torah about the exodus of Egypt in the night of Pesach. Now I want to ask you a question. It says, Mitchila of the Avodah Avotenu. Our parents were idol worshippers. Who? Who was an idol worshipper? Yaakov was an idol worshipper. Yitzchak was an idol worshipper. Avraham was an idol worshipper. Those are the three fathers. Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. They were not idol worshippers. So who is Avotenu? Terach. Terach had a store. Nobody beats the whiz. Selling uh, plasma, whatever. They still in business or no? No. But J.C. Penn is still in business. I saw the other day sign. <laughs> sign J.C. Penn. <laughs> Tov. So Terach was an idol worshipper. Then HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought us into his Torah and gave us the Torah. And there's something very interesting here. This is what the Agadah say. Your parents sat in the other side of the river. Terach, the father of Avraham, the father of Nahor, which is the brother of Avraham. He was an idol worshipper, and his children were young children before they realized there is Hashem. I took your father Avraham from the other side of the river. That's why he called him Avraham Ivri. That is from one side and everybody and is on the other side. Ivri means ever. Right? I took him to the land of Canaan. I multiply his descendants. And I gave him Yitzchak to be his son. I gave Yitzchak Yaakov and Esav. And I gave Esav the mountain of Seir to inherit it. 
And Yaakov and his children went to Egypt. Thank you very much. Look at this. I gave Yitzchak, Yaakov, and Esav. Why do you have to bring Esav here? I gave Yitzchak, Yaakov. Who needs Esav? In case you don't know, who is Esav? The father of the Nazis. The father of Amalek. All the evil in the world came from him. So what is so much to brag about? I gave Yitzhak Esav. Esav is a reward or Esav is a punishment? Huh? Would be better off not to have Esav to begin with. Why do you have to create evil and give it to someone and then save him from that? Don't give it to him to begin with. If I took a virus and injected to a person, wow, you're going to die in 24 hours. Then I had the antidote and I came the next day and gave him another shot and saved his life. Does he owe me a thank you or is upset with me why you infected me to begin with? It's a hard question, no? Now, I tell you what. You may think, I gave you Esav. When I gave it to you, it was a good product. Later on, it became wicked. But that's not what the Torah say. The Torah say that Esav was wicked already in his mother's womb already, meaning from his previous life already. He's attracted to idol worshipping. So don't tell me I gave you Esav such a tzaddik. Huh? No, but he was rasha from birth. Shem told Rivka, two nations are inside you, one righteous, one wicked. I mean, Esav is wicked before he came out. All what you say could be correct, but it has nothing to do with my question. Now, don't think I have an answer to this question. For 20 years I'm looking for a good answer. I did not find yet. Why do you have to write in the Haggadah? You can say to Avram, you see, Avram, you say, you say like this, I took your father, Avram, I brought him from the other side, I walked him in Eretz Knaan, I multiplied his children, and I gave him Yitzchak. He doesn't say I gave him Ishmael. He doesn't say. Why doesn't say? Because the Torah said that Yitzchak is the only son of Avram. Yitzchak, he karel chazara. Now you can say Abba mina goya karu ibna, that Agar wasn't Hebrew, so Ishmael really follow her, okay. Here Rivka, she's Jewish, she has two kids coming from her, so obviously they're equal. They both came from the same mother. Tov, maybe that's one answer. But why to mention a Saif to begin with? Why do you have to create Esav to begin with? Give me one good reason for it. Holocaust, Esav. Destructions, Esav. Running after Yaakov, Esav. Germany, Esav. Amalek, Esav. Ma, why do we need him to begin with? The Geula comes through Esav? 
I have an answer. I don't like to give an answer that I'm not fully confident about it. But I'll give it anyway, since I don't have any other better one. In life, when you give someone a son that is big chacham, like to learn Torah, tzaddik, it's not enough. You also need one brother to support financially. Issachar and Zvulun. Who's going to pay all the expenses? Who's going to make the roads? Who's going to build homes? Who's going to hunt the animals? Who's going to do all the other work? You have, you have Talmidei Shiva. You need people to work. Huh? But I know, I know. Wait. So now, you gave him Esav. Now he asked a good question. What are you comparing Issachar and Zvulun when they both righteous, just one learning and one working, to one righteous and one wicked? Yes, he's working, but he's wicked. That's exactly the point. Thanks to Esav, Yaakov became Yaakov. Why? I'll tell you why. If Yaakov, if Esav did not run after Yaakov to kill him, would he go and sit in Yeshiva Shem Vaever 14 years with his parents? No. He would be by his parents. Who knows what would come out of him? The only reason he became who he became is thanks to him. The fact that he wanted to kill him made him go first to learn Torah by Shem Vaever, then run to Lavan and over there find his wife and form the nation of Israel, Yaakov and Rachel. That the nation of Israel. So without Esav in a story, none of this would happen. Same thing today. If we would not have the Arabs today that kill us every day, how many of us would be kosher Jews? Who knows? Why so many people are in Israel into their religion and philot and praying and screaming? Why the name of the Arabs is Ishmael? That because of the problems the Arabs will do to the Jews all the time, the Jews would scream to Hashem and Hashem will hear. Ishmael. Ishmael means will hear. God will hear. So if Ishmael would be nice to us, welcoming us, supporting us, donating to us, giving us all the treatment we want, First, we would not be so religious because there's no sword on the neck. And people become religious only when they feel the sword is beginning to cut on the neck. That's reality. And the second reason is, probably we would all be married to them. And no Jews would be left. If someone is nice, if you come out of your building and Christine sees you in the hallway, Hi, Itzik! How are you? I made a great pasta. Would you like to taste? So you come in, pasta, this, next thing, Hashem Yerachem. <laughs> you live in Texas somewhere. But if she looks at you, you dirty Jew, what are you doing in my building? Okay, dirty, dirty, but I just got saved. Hashem, save me from this Nazi. So which one is better? Ah, Itzik, how are you? I made a cake, come over. Oh, dirty Jew, what are you doing in my building? Make sure you move out of here. We don't want you here. And you stay religious, and in the end, you marry a Jew. Which one of the two options you prefer? Huh? Achi, aval achi arasha. 
Now I want to ask you a question. It says, בעבור זה לא אמרתי, אלא בשעה שיש מצה ומרור מונחים לפניך. You have to speak the story of the Exodus of Egypt when you have matzah and maror in front of you. Why? I can give you the whole speech of the Agadah without having matzah and maror in front of me. I need a matzah and maror on the table. Why? I don't know what matzah is. I don't know what maror is. Now we don't have matzah and maror and I tell you the same thing. No, I can, I can do it without it. Why does it have to be in front of me? The answer is, Rabotai, there is a big difference between reya leshmiya, when you see something or when you hear something. Which one of the two is more powerful? Do you agree that seeing is much powerful than hearing always or there is some exception to the rule? Give me one advantage that hearing has, as opposed to seeing. One advantage. Huh? Very clever. Hearing, you also hear in the day and you also hear at night. Seeing, you can only see during the day. You cannot see at night. So here you have some advantage sometimes on hearing which is more hours of the day. But everything else, there's no question that seeing is much more powerful than hearing. As I gave you the example that Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, go down because they made a golden calf and Moshe did not break the tablet. He only broke it when he saw them. I mean, once he saw it, why, he didn't believe Hashem? He did. But it wasn't as powerful as when he saw it. He could not take it and he broke it. Okay. But let me give you some other examples. Okay. Merachok Hashem nirali, it's written. Hashem, I can see Hashem from far. This is Prophet Jeremiah 31, verse 2. Shmiah, it's only when you're close to someone. You hear him. If you're close, you hear. If you're far away, you don't hear anything. But to see, you can see someone from 100 yards away. You can see him from far. If you see a person 300 feet away from you, you see him, you recognize him walking. But if he talks to someone on the street, you don't hear anything. Okay. In one eyesight, you open your eyes and see something on the street, you see more than a month of speech would describe. What you saw in one second the entire street, people, faces, building, addresses, uh, cars, so many things you saw. If we, co we connect your brain now, if we hypnotize you, and we begin to ask you everything you saw in the street, you will give us a month's speech. I saw this guy and the Chinese guy and there's a couple of black people and this guy wear a, a, a black hat and this one is this and I saw one Jew and this Chabadnik is walking crossing the street and there's a, so many things. It will take you a month to describe but you got all the information in one second. So if someone has to tell you what the street outside has, it will take him a month to tell you every little detail. When he opened the window for you for one second and you look, 
Everything went in in one second. One second as opposed to one month. Nothing to compare. The ability to record information. Also what you see, it's hard to forget. What you hear, it's easy to forget. Now, when you finish the lecture, I'm going to ask you, can you repeat what I say about this? Can you repeat what I say about this? Most likely you won't know anything besides Gorbachev cooking us here with the heat. <laughs> Nothing else you would know. Right? But what you saw, it's hard to forget. If you see something when you pay attention to it, it's hard to forget even after a week. Now I want to ask you a question. The initial relationship between people is based on seeing each other or based on hearing each other? Which one of the two makes a better connection or a better hatred? If, if you see a person you don't like, okay, I don't like him so much, but if he begins to curse you, now you really hate him. Two or three words he told you, you want to kill him already. So the power of two, three words already created such a big hatred. If you just see him, he may like or not like him. But the impact of the words could be a lot worse than seeing. So which one of the two makes better or worse connection? We said that before. I'll read to you. If you see a person and recognize him, after a year you see him, you recognize him. Also, when you see something, you're more relating to it, whether it's good or bad. Like I gave you an example with the golden calf. When Moshe heard that they're making an idol, he did not get angry as much at them. But only when he saw it, his anger rise tremendously that he had to break the tablet. Now I want to ask you a question. Hashem said to Abraham Avinu, your children will be slaves to another nation for 400 years. They will torture them, but after that I will take them out and they will go with lots of wealth. How many years we were in Egypt? 210 years. How many of the 210 years we walked? 86 years. That's it. Where is 400 years? Where is 86 years? There's few ways to calculate it. One way is to calculate it from the birth of Yitzchak. Because that's already the beginning of the process now. Because Hashem said to Abraham, your children. And he doesn't have children yet. Once he has a children, the prophecy began. It's a process that will take hundreds of years, fine. But it started right now. Same thing with Yosef. The minute they threw Yosef to the pit, he actually became already the king of Egypt. You will find out about it 13 years later. But the only purpose that he was thrown into the pit and then later sold to the goyim and were taken to Egypt because the minute Hashem made them throw him to the pit, he was already preparing the process of making him the, the, the controller of the money. 
Now, after 13 years, you know it retroactively, like many other things in life. I told you once the story of Chacham Ovadia Yosef. The last two years of his life, a woman came, an old woman, came to his house, knock on the door. She asked the Shamash to let her in. She came in, she said, Ovadia, Kifchalak. She was Iraqi. He was also Iraqi. She said, Kifchalak, Ovadia. You have a nice, successful. Remember me? Why? How was your date? We almost got married. Eight years ago. How much Hashem loves you. If you would get married to me, you would never have children. Why? I'm barren. Help me out. I need money. You have a lot of money? Give me some money. The story that I just told you was told by my son in a speech, publicly. He told the story. But the interesting part of that story is why the Shiduch of Rav Ovadia got cancelled with this woman. She was a religious woman. Why cancel the Shiduch? They were about to get engaged. She asked him last time before they got engaged, will you take me sometimes to the cinema? It used to be Arabic's, Arabic's uh, movie back then in time in Israel. You know, 1930s, 40s. He told her, no, I'm Bachor Yeshiva, what cinema? <laughs> I can learn with you Gemara if you want. <laughs> I'm not interested in Gemara now. I want to see Farid El-Atrash. Um Kultum, what do I need Gemara now? You don't take me to see nice music, Egyptian movie? Say, no, it's Chilul Hashem, Chacham, we'll go to a place like this. Even once in a while. No, so I won't marry you. And he was already connected to her emotionally. That's the whole point. He already wanted to marry her. That's it, he made a decision. He had feelings towards her. But when he realized she's going to make him start going to places that the Talmud Chacham was not allowed to even step there, he told us, so we cannot get married. Now let me ask you this. If it would be to anybody else today, even Bachur Yeshiva, he's in love with her already, he wants to get married already, he already set up his mind, soon I'm going to have my wife, and I'm going to move in, and I finally have the, the life, I come home, I have dinner ready. You're already imagining a lot of nice things. And what happened? For something like that, you have to break the Shiduch. Many people would not resist such temptation. Don't worry, don't worry, I'll take you to the, to the cinema. Why? Well, I want to cancel my shiduch now. How do I know? Maybe I won't get married. But when you stick to the truth, regardless of what's going to come out of it by me, it's not my problem. This is the truth and that's it. And I don't do calculations. I'm not a factor here. Am I allowed? No. That's it. She asks a question, I answer her, no, cannot do it. But who's going to marry you? You're too fanatic. You're too extreme. You're listening to this speaker. It's not good for you. Come, let me take you to the other one. It's much, much nicer. <laughs> Better you stay single a few more years than to marry one of the clowns who listen over there. That wants all kinds of illusions. <laughs> Why? Because when you finally get the guy, you're not going to get a clown. You're going to get a serious Ben Torah. Why? Because if he's not... 
he's not going to want you. Because <laughs> you're too religious for him. I told you once the story that there's a girl, big tzaddeket, big. She went on three dates with a guy, Bachur Yeshiva, and he asked her if she will wear high heels. And she said, no, it's not modest. Well, if we go to a wedding, I want my wife to wear high heels, you know, the twin towers. She said, I can't. And he canceled the shidduch. How lucky she is. How lucky this girl is. Why? First of all, the other one, Hashem Mirachem Waderasha is. And Hashem sent her such a sweet, tzaddik guy. Hard to find guys like this. So now imagine how one decision will affect her eternity. She would marry this faker clown. The connection between him and Hashem is barely, almost non-exist. That that's why he cancelled a shidduch for that a woman doesn't want to wear like a Hashem Rachem. How I don't want to say words that then I'll regret it later on. But you get the point. It's not exactly Sarai Menu with his high heels and mini skirt. You know? So, she... She got saved from this clown, and Hashem gave her the best guy. If she would, okay, okay, I wear aisles. No, what can I do? Shlom bayit, rabbi, shlom bayit. What would happen? Suffer for the rest of her life. What kind of children she would have? Everything fake. Because someone that is bachur yeshiva, lover of Hashem, loving Mara, and he cancels a shidduch because of aisles, what does it tell you about him? It's not about the aisles, come on. It's what's behind it. Rotten, contaminated mind. He wants his wife to be a French model from Paris. That's what he wants. Yes. Tov. Time is running out. We have to finish soon. Mamash two, three minutes. And the rest I'll do later on. So it says like this. Sometimes Hashem say, it's written in the Torah, Vayomer El Avram. Sometimes it say, Vayomer Le Avram. Why sometimes in Hebrew you use the word El, and sometimes you use the word Le? Technically, it sounds the same exact thing. Reuven say, Reuven Amar Le Shimon. Reuven Amar El Shimon. It's the same thing. Why sometimes the Torah use le and sometimes the Torah el? Did you ever did you ever ask yourself why? This is what the Gaon Mivina say. Vayomer le Avram, le Avram, and Vayomer el Avram. When he's talking about Avraham himself, his own body, it will say el. El Avram, El Moshe, El. Why? I'm talking about you. Personally, you. That's why it's El. Vayomer Hashem, El Avram. Lech lecha me'artzecha. Take your body and move from here and go to a different place. Right? Meaning, I'm directing your body right now. But when something has nothing to do with yourself, with your body, like a decree that is on your children after you, not you, your children later on, they will be born. They're not here right now. I have to give you this message. But it, since this message is not you personally, 
So the language become le. Vayomer Hashem Elokim Laisha. Who is Laisha? Chava. Mazot Asit. What did you do? Because he doesn't talk about Chava now. Laisha. What did you do? He's talking about Adam and... Okay. But later when he gave her her punishment, El Aisha Amar Arba Arbeitz Bonech. Now when he talks about your personal physical punishment, I'm directing you physically, then it becomes El. You see, every little detail in the Torah, it's a whole different meaning. It's amazing. You see, it's a divine language. It's not by, in Israel. Everybody speaks one time le, one time el. Nobody understands even that there's a difference. But in Torah, there's big differences. And we finish with the last famous questions that we also always ask. When Hashem said to Avraham, they're going to be, okay. This nation that will torture them as a part of my plan, I will judge them also. Why? They're very good soldiers. They're doing what you want. They're actually executing your will. If someone sent me to do something, I'm a policeman working for the police. The police sent me to do something. Why do they want to punish me for that now? I actually did what they told me to do. Do I deserve a punishment for that? Why the Egyptians were punished? Why they have to get... If it was already... Was, Abraham was informed that that's what's going to happen. Why they have to be punished? It was a part of the plan. That means it had to happen. The answer is, Rabotai, first of all, Hashem did not tell him which nation. One nation will torture your children and they will be slaves to them. So, so that's the Egyptian chose to do it. Someone will have to do it because that's the will of Hashem. But who told you to volunteer? And even if you say that Hashem had in mind the Egyptians, He did not say to each Egyptian individually, I decree on you to go and kill Jews and torture them. I decreed on your nation, 70 million people. How many soldiers you have? 50,000. Who told you to be one of the 50,000? Sit home. Be upset that they kill babies and torturing adults. Who told you to join the SS? What, someone forced you to be a Nazi soldier? I only fulfilled orders. Yes. But who told you to join the army of the Nazis to begin with? There are many other Nazi uh, Germans and they didn't run to join the army. That's another reason. So you're very happy to do it. Second, they enjoy to do it. Fourth answer, they did more than what Hashem wanted to do. For instance, Paro said, from now on I'm not giving you straw to make bricks. You're going to have to go and look for it yourself. Meaning he was doing it more than the actual decree. Vegam, in Gimatria, it's 49 that Hashem took us out of 49 gates of impurity. You understand? So we have another rule 
that if you were chosen to torture someone by Hashem, you're the one. Don't say I'm not guilty. Hashem commanded it. So I have to do it. No, my friend. Hashem commanded that this person would suffer, but he did not decree that you would be the one who tortured him. If now it fell on you, that means you brought it on yourself. Since you were guilty of something else, Hashem chose you to be the evil Satan. Remember when I made a lecture about a year ago? Soldiers of Hashem versus soldiers of the Satan. Very important lecture to listen to. You have to look at your life and analyze it. Which side I'm on? Am I on the side of the soldiers of Hashem that he used me to give tzedakah, to help Kiruv, to sponsor CDs, to come to Shiore Torah, to bring other people to Shiore Torah, to help poor people, to do a lot of good things? Or is he using me only for bad things? To torture people, to evict them from their homes, to do this, to do that, to put handcuffs on people and put them in jail and take them away from their family, to throw Jews from their homes and give it to the Hamas. Many of the people with Yamaka did it. They were soldiers. They went and threw them out of the house and gave it to the Hamas. Religious people, Shomri Shabbat. What do you think, it's coincidence? Of course not. Why are you the one who got the order and your friend was in Tel Aviv and he didn't get the order, come to Gush Katif? Because you're already guilty of something else. Hashem said, okay, since you're already guilty, I owe you nothing. Go and throw Jews from the home and give us to the Arab murderers. You understand? So if you eat someone with a car and he died, oh, such bad luck, why me? Why you? Because you're guilty of something. That's why you go to a shelter city. Why? Why is that my fault? I drove in the street and one kid ran in front of my wheels. I'm not Superman. Everyone in the world would make this accident. Yes. So why I have to be 40 years in a shelter city? Losing my job, business, family, friends, everything that I built. Why? Because you're guilty. I'm not guilty. It was an accident. You're guilty from before. That's what got you to do this accident. Because Hashem wanted to begin with to send you to a shelter city. That's why it brought the accident to your wheels and not to your friend that was next to you. You understand? This is what life is all about. Many of the things that look like coincidence, even sometimes you go to jail, you yourself know what they're blaming me. I'm totally clean. But you also know I'm guilty of 50 other things that they don't know. But Hashem does know. So they're not putting you there. Hashem is putting you here. And it doesn't mean you're wicked. Many of the biggest rabbis in history were in jail. Ben Yishchai, Gaomi Vilna, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Maharal Mirotenburg, many other, the biggest, sitting in jail. Ben Yishchai said the biggest level of his Torah was the month he was in jail in Baghdad for signing guarantor for his brothers in a business. Well, he was in yeshiva b'chlal. They don't know what's happening in a business. But since his signature was there, they came and arrested him. Said that he achieved the highest level in that jail. He did tikkunim. There were a lot of souls reincarnated in the walls of the jails in Baghdad. Unbelievable things. Hashem put me over here. But Ben Ishchai, he was in jail because Hashem wanted to help the wicked people that are reincarnated there. But if we go there, that means we're guilty of something.
You understand? We have to check what? And after that, they will go with tremendous property. So if Hashem promised that we will leave Egypt wealthy, why we had to lie to the Egyptians and say we'll be back in three days? Give me your rubies, your jewelry, your bracelet, your diamonds. Don't worry, I'm coming back. I'll bring you back all your clothes. Why? If we already know the promise to Abraham, we must leave Egypt wealthy. We can smile to their face and say, sit and be quiet. Everything you have, it's mine. Sit and don't move. I'm taking it. Why I have to lie to him? He doesn't have the power. They all crushed the Egyptians. Everyone is dead. Everything is broken. Economy is destroyed. The country is destroyed physically and mentally. Why do I have to be afraid of him? Hey, Ahmed, move. Give me all the jewelry. Give me this. Give me that. Oh, a nice tie. Take it off. Hey, please, eat sick. Leave me something. Shh. Be quiet. You killed us here for 86 years. Now you have to pay us for what we work. Why not? Why do we have to come and lie to them? Please lend us your clothing and jewelry. Ela de Gaon Mivilna say, because in Shamaim it has to be all measure for measure. Mida keneged mida. They fooled us in the beginning. Paro wants to make CDs. He pays very high, $20 an hour. Join the union. You sit all day eating donuts, chocolate donuts, drinking beer, reading New York Times, while everyone is getting killed in traffic. You close the George Washington Bridge. You have pensions. Life is great. Hanukkah party, Christmas party. One lane, five years. <laughs> and everyone reads and plays. But that was only in the beginning. All of a sudden, it became a nightmare. They fooled us with their mouth. And then after that, that's it. You cannot quit the job. Once you join the mafia, you can only come out of here dead. You can't quit. Since they deceived us, Hashem wanted us specially to deceive them. Im naval tit naval. And not only that, the part of the plan was that because they told them we're only borrowing it, we will be back in three days, that's what motivated them to chase them. And then they drowned. What killed the Egyptians? The greed for the money. Let them go, you fool. You got rid of them. If they come back here, more problems you're going to have. No, but the money. I have to get my jewelry back. <laughs> they ran to get the jewelry back. And they drowned. And now a lot more jewelry came to the Jews. Bizat Ayam is greater than what they took out of Egypt. I don't know what this Egyptian put on the horses. Apparently it was very expensive. You understand? What do we say right now? Ve'ishamda. You know this song? Ve'ishamda. Oh, ve'ishamda. What does it mean? Ve'ishamda. Maze ve'ishamda. One husband was at night upstairs with his wife. Midnight. Sarah, are you up? Yeah. Did you shut the air condition downstairs? No, I forgot. Please go. No, no, I'm tired. You go. 
No, no, I'm tired all day with the kids. All day I walk outside, now you're telling me to go? So he said to her, listen, I can bring you a proof from the Torah that you have to go. It's a Vehisha Amda. You're the one who has to rise. Vehisha Amda. Top. So now, what does it mean Vehisha Amda? What is that he? The promise that Hashem promised us that will never leave us. Thanks to Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, so we know we have some kind of an umbrella insurance. What does it mean, Vehi? Vav. Hey, Yud, Aleph. Vav. Shisha Sidre Mishnah. Six Sidre Mishnah. Hey, five. Hamisha Chumshe Torah. Yud, ten. The Ten Commandments. Aleph, one God. That's what stood for us every generation and generation. When they all come to kill us, one God, the Torah, the written Torah, the oral Torah and the Ten Commandments. That's what this, that's the secret of the Jewish nation. This is always going to save us, nothing else. Not the American army, and not Trump, and not Bibi, and not the Israeli army, and not the special missile, and the Israeli Mossad. It's all can help. But the main thing that saves the Jewish nation from total destruction is Baruch Hashem, the Torah. Okay, we have a lot more to say. Just remember that we arrived to the to the Tse Ulmad Ma Bikesh Lavan Arami Laasot Leyaakov. We have a lot more to do. Why Lavan was trying to destroy the Jewish nation before it even started? When Paro decreed the, the boys and Lavan would, was about to destroy the boys and the girls and everyone. This is where I'm going to continue on my next time. Obviously, obviously, it's going to take even more than two more lectures. But we'll, we'll try to do as much as we can. But now you know who was Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. Why is Areu keben shivim shana? Anyone who wants to donate money to the boys in the yeshiva, now it's the time. It's Kimcha de Pischa. It's an obligation of every Jew to give money to the poor people to buy matzot and food for the Yom Tov. If you have, you can give checks. It's very big mitzvah. Kim Chad Pischa, it's an obligation. It's written in the Sfarim. We cannot sit and enjoy the Chag when there's so many poor Bachure Torah. They don't have what to eat, or they eat very little, or they don't have clothes to wear. That's not a Pesach. Pesach has to be that all the poor people are comfortable and they have everything that you have, they have also. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ואמן. רבי חנניה בן הקשיא אומר, רצה הקדוש ברוך הוא לזכות את ישראל. לפיכך ירבה להם תורה ומצוות, שנאמר...